You ever have that thing? I, I sent you that link to the Tom Hanks story about the or the Tom Hanks movie being on Apple TV Plus. And about three minutes after I sent it to you, my computer sounded like a freaking jet engine was taking off. <laughs> it's so annoying. You have these web pages that it's always and it's like whack a mole. Like most web pages are fine, and then one comes along and your computer just blows up. It's uh, I it's not even browser specific. It's like I'm a Safari. We could talk about it, but I mean, I, you know, I'm a Safari diehard. I really like Safari. I prefer it for a number of reasons, but uh, even in that regard, and even running like the contact content blocker, um, which I've sort of switched between, which I think blocks a lot of the most obnoxious ads. And I kind of like to keep mine. I don't want to block all ads. I'm not like a diehard on it. I'd be a hypocrite if I were in some ways. Um, but even with that, every once in a while, my fans are roaring and I look and I can tell it's Safari from Activity Monitor, but Activity Monitor won't tell you which tab in Safari. Yep. And I can just, and I have Safari set so that if I quit and relaunch, it opens all the tabs I already had open. And I can quit and relaunch and it'll go from 100% CPU usage to, you know, whatever normal is, even with dozens and dozens of tabs open. And there's no way to tell what the hell it was that did it. Sometimes it's pretty clear, though. That that, yeah. that article, that, 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 that page was definitely the culprit. What was it? Deadline Hollywood, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah sometimes you can just kind of take a look at a page and just sort of get get a sense that this this is not going to be good for my browser. Did yeah. you see that uh, uh, there's so much news? We were talking about it uh, on, uh, what's the other show called? Uh, Dithering. Dithering, that's it. Uh we were talking about it on Dithering that, the, that we've been inundated, bombarded with news to the point where I don't even remember the name of the other show. Um, but one of the other bits of news this week was that uh, the Chrome Chrome team announced that they're going to start process reaping obnoxious ad tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and you know, it, it's it's an interesting dilemma for them. Right, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to process reap their competitors is basically <laughs> another way to put it. Yeah, because basically it's like, and they, you know, they've made some definitions, and I think that by anybody's reasonable perspective, it's, uh, you know, they're 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 erring on the side of reaping too few ads. I, I think that there are ads that would go within their their limits for how much I, I think they're talking about like CPU usage and overall download. Um there are apps that fit within their limits that I think it's like, well why in the world would you need it would a single ad need, you know, three megabytes before it even starts like playing video or something like that. Like that that's a lot. Um you know, in the process CPU stuff. But basically the cynical take is hmm, which ads qualify the ones that aren't served by Google? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's it's so. I mean, yeah, it, it's like it's one of those things where, in theoretical world, it's extremely problematic. In real life world, where I have this very, you know, big computer that should have, you know, and uh, very capable, and takes off like a jet engine because I loaded a web page, it's definitely necessary. So it's kind of goes, kind of stuck in the middle there. Uh, they're calling them resource heavy ads. Uh... I don't know if I quote. I'm looking at my own post here. I guess I didn't quote their limits, but anyway, I, I hope Safari uh, and WebKit get involved in this. I would love to see one of the changes to WebKit on the Mac be some kind of way to more accurately pinpoint 
obnoxious web pages so that you could see it. And I also feel that that WebKit should be more aggressive about severely limiting uh, the resource consumption of background tabs. If it's not the frontmost tab in the frontmost window, it really should not just it just should be by by it should be enforced that it, it could only use a minimal amount of CPU in the background. Yeah, it's interesting because that that also gets in sort of this fuzzy space where in real world application, yes, that's definitely necessary because you have to go hunting for a tab. And I think uh, you, you and I are both sort of. Uh, tab t- tab hoarders uh you know i actually only have 44 right now which is shockingly low but it's it's 44 because i just had to i just had to find the chrome tab that was spinning up my computer again that's what was that's what prompted this discussion so i just killed a whole bunch of them it was definitely well over 100 before uh so on one hand, yes, it's necessary. On the other hand, it gets back into the whole like, well, that's kind of like what iOS does. iOS is very strict on sort of background processes. And I don't know the specifics of Safari on iOS, but I would imagine it's the same thing that background tabs in Safari and iOS are basically dead, I would yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, but that gets into the whole like, well, that's uh, that's great for iOS. But that's all the stuff I don't want on, on the Mac. I want right. full background processing. I want to be able to do all these sorts of stuff. Right. So if it was an option, I think that would be better. Like, and honestly, that's the, that's the solution I think for a lot of the, these tensions is there needs to be more options and less sort of uh, this way or the highway on the Mac specifically because you you gotta you gotta. You know, it's the old. I recite this article every time I'm on the podcast. You're old. The Mac lets the iOS be what it is because the Mac can do everything, right? And you start walking down the Mac, it's like, well, where, where, what's what's the release valve? What's the pressure valve here? That was the worst. That was the worst paraphrasing of that you've ever done, and you have brought it up every time. <laughs> I and I usually have the worst memory, but because it was a good line that I wrote a long time ago, I have it more or less. I forget if I called it iOS or not, but uh, I think. My paraphrasing of the phrase was it would be the heaviness of the Mac is what allows uh, the iPhone to remain light. But maybe it was iOS to remain light. I forget. I might have even written it when (laughs) the iPad wasn't even out yet. I, I, I think it was probably more like 2012 or so. But yeah, I still think that that holds true. And I still think that that's an interesting, it certainly, I think, is true inside Apple in terms of the whole ongoing debate of you know, it's the iPad that's in dispute, right? Like it, nobody's really arguing that the iPhone needs to do more stuff that the Mac does or that the Mac needs to be more like the iPhone, right? It's the iPad in the middle that is sort of, hey, you know, this is better than that. This is good for work. You can't do work. All these debates. It's all about the iPad. Um, but it's still... I don't know. Is, I, I, my perspective, though, I don't really care about the iPad. Just to make sure – I mean, I care to a degree, but just make sure the Mac can keep doing everything that it can do already. All right. But it is still true, even though it's not in dispute about the iPhone, the heaviness of the Mac. And, like, one of the things that's heavy on the Mac is that it has this whole Unix layer where you can just run old – you know, not, I say old, but I realize, you know, this, I'm sure, 100% sure – that there are dozens of people listening to me and you talk right now in May 2020 on this show who today edited uh, shell scripts on on their Mac. Um, so I say old only in terms of the fact that writing Unix-style shell scripts um, is, is a longstanding thing, not that it's outdated or irrelevant, but it's a big part of... Um, 
the build script phase of Xcode where you can do custom things and you when you build and run your app in Xcode, it can call out to a shell script that might do something custom to your organization and um it, it's just the whole the whole idea, like one of the very heavy things is what I'm getting at that the Mac does to allow iOS to remain light is if you want to write an iOS app, you do it on a Mac. So the iPhone doesn't have to worry about things like, well, how in the world are we going to let developers write iPhone apps on the iPhone? Just they don't even have to worry about it because they just say you have to use a Mac to do it. This is a good example why, on one hand, me being on the talk show is uh, a useful sort of uh, guide to dithering. On the other hand, it's also a terrible guide because we are now <laughs> eight minutes and 30 seconds in or nine minutes in and are not even remotely close to getting to whatever point we may have gotten to. And I've already got on a Mac iPad yeah. shell script digression. That wasn't uh, so, even part of the news I'm talking about. So let's, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, no, it's funny because we, we've, we've been doing a little bit of a gig on dithering where people are like alternate titles for the show. And one of the alternate titles was a brief digression. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because we've actually gotten very good at making them brief digressions, whereas the subtitle for the talk show is an extended digression. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we could talk about it. But I try, when I do digress while we're doing dithering, I try to, I, in the back of my head, and I know that I've gone over because I actually can't hold my breath that long, but I think to myself, see if you can do it in one breath. Yep. <laughs> because then it might actually be somewhat short. Um, here, let me just interrupt right now and then we'll start, we'll pretend like we're starting an episode of dithering, but let me just start right now, early on with the first, uh, thank you to a sponsor. It's our good friends at Linode. I used to call them Linode because that's what it looks like to me, L-I-N-O-D-E, but it's actually pronounced Linode because it's a node, like a thing, like a server, and they host Linux, which is pronounced Lin. So it's Linode, cloud hosting. I guess I should have figured that out, but like a lot of words in the English language, I, I pronounced it wrong. But you won't pronounce it wrong because you hear me saying it right now. Um, look, this is where I host Daring Fireball. I love, love, love Linode. Everything about it is great. Ever since I moved, I think it was in November when I officially flipped the switch and, and everything moved over. Now, one thing has gone wrong. Now, can I guarantee that for you, dear listener, if you start hosting your website at uh, Linode, your servers, your services. No, because, you know, maybe you'll screw something up too. Um, nobody's perfect. But boy, I really like Linode. And uh, even if something does go wrong, I guess, you can easily spot what it is. They have awesome, awesome control panel. Shows you everything you need to do. They make it really, really easy to install all of the common stuff you might want to do, like uh, getting WordPress installed or the... Uh, just the regular old-fashioned LAMP stack for you know MySQL and Apache and PHP and stuff like that. And here's one that I know. I started mentioning this on their sponsorships here a while ago. And I keep hearing from listeners of the show, because I think a lot of you are roughly in the parental age bracket that I am, game servers for Minecraft and other games. What a great idea. You can host your own. You can have your kid and maybe your kid's friends all have their own little Minecraft server or a bunch of other games that have servers like that. Uh, totally private because you own it. You control it. And they have these uh, nanode plans. Start at just five bucks a month, and it gives you an entire virtual server that you control super amount of control, but also really, really easy interface to 
control it and make it happen. Uh, five bucks a month. And it's a really, really useful server at a plan like that. And they scale. Linode scales all the way up to like super, super enterprise needs well beyond anything I could possibly understand. And they have a special offer just for you, listeners of the show. Remember this promo code, TALKSHOW20, TALKSHOW20. And when you create a new Linode account, you'll get 20 bucks towards your next project, which is four months, four months free on that $5 a month plan. Also, they're hiring still, linode.com slash careers. Find out more if you're like a sysadmin or anybody who you think, you know, if you think that maybe what you do might have jobs at Linode, you're probably right. Uh, so go to linode.com slash the talk show to find out more. Linode.com slash the talk show. And remember the coupon code talk show 20, save 20 bucks. There you go. That's 15 minutes right there. <laughs> so we record, we've been recording using Zencaster, like a web app right. instead well, of the, I, the traditional. Well, I wanted Skype. to mention this because well, that's this, the sort of thing. This is the sort of thing that you can't really do on, on uh, like an iPad. Well, with, uh, maybe you can. I, I don't know if you can or not. But the point is, is during your ad reads, uh, I didn't have a nice little because it's all self-contained. It's both the way we're communicating and it's the recording. And there's a nice little mute button on there that I can click. But whereas here, because we're using Skype to talk to each other and then I'm recording directly into Audio Hijack, uh, I would either I have to use the hardware mute switch, which I also have. Oh, yeah. But it's a uh, it, it was striking that actually I kind of miss my little my little button in my web app that seems flaky as I'll get out, but <laughs> seems to be mostly working. It's Zencaster is an interesting thing. It's I I even love the way they spell it. They it's Zen C A S T R and that whole just take a vowel thing out. Uh, I don't know what happened to that fad. That fad went away. I thought it was pretty clever uh, as a fad because uh, it it seemed like an interesting way to get a pronounceable word that gave you a brand but also gave you something that wasn't in the dictionary so it would be more easily uh you know, searchable, searchable, and copyrightable, and uh, trademarkable. I guess is the better term, not copyright. Uh, it works really well with R too, and, and that yeah. ER sort of like it's like something that does an action is a great sort of general thing to right. get a, a name for something. Yeah, I don't know if Flickr was first. Probably not first, but if Flickr is the one that that in terms of like you know being like fifteen years ago, but maybe more, just seemed is the one that really like seemed to make it make it a thing. Yeah, it's, uh, 16 years. <laughs> that oh, it's pretty close, pretty close. Boy, that feels like a long time ago. Um, <laughs> what feels longer ago, Flickr being founded or Microsoft's build keynote yesterday? <laughs> it all blurs together. It really does. Yesterday's news feels like it was months ago. Um, I or, honestly, the, or, or the NBA canceling its season. It's it just all blurs together. It's it's so weird. I was just talking to my wife today that and and it, again, I know a lot of people are experiencing this and and this sort of blurring together of what should be fresh news and what is like three month old news. But we were just talking about the uh, president of the United States says he's taking hydroxychloroquine, and I spoke about it as though it was like like two weeks ago and she was like that was two days ago and i was like oh <laughs> really i was like i thought that was like a huge issue because it is a huge deal it's all over everything and i was like but it's it's gone now and she goes well it's you know it is two days old 
Yeah, I mean, time was already kind of getting. This has been happening on the internet for a long time, where like time has been compressing, right? And you've seen this in like Apple's like embargo times or dates, right? They, they used to be different. Like they've experimented different times of day. Do you want to hit the morning news cycle? Do you want to hit the evening news cycle? Because like you, it's like you get one or the other. Because once a half day is gone, like the world has moved on. So this compression has been happening. But now during the the pandemic. Pandemic, that compression is combined with the complete lack of exterior markers of time, right? So there's right. there's like, what's the weekend? What's the workday? It kind of is all flowing together. And so I think it just it's making it even more sort of disconcerting and knowing what's going on. Like I just got a note, you know, oh, I need to make a mention in my daily update today that there's going to be no daily update on Monday because it's Memorial Day. It's like Memorial Day. <laughs> what? <laughs> like I. How is it that it doesn't even seem possible that it's Memorial Day? You know, we were talking about that. My wife and I were talking about that. And I do think it, it is the case, I think. I'm, I, it's one of those holidays where I don't know the exact algorithm for how you figure out what day of the year is Memorial Day. But this year it's May 25th. And I think just looking at the calendar because then that's monday that's this coming monday the next monday is june 1st so mm. i think that it's literally of the seven days of the week of of may that could be memorial day that it's may 25th is the earliest possible one and i just yep. feel like of all years for that to happen this is the worst because it just <laughs> it just seems the most discombobulating it just seems yeah. like we I, we just got done making jokes about April being over in a snap of the finger. It's like how how in the world are we talking about what are we doing? You know, for Memorial Day, right? I think it's like the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth. Like, oh yeah, we have a holiday at the end of May, don't we? But now it's like today is May twenty first. It's like that 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 hasn't even uh, it didn't even. I w- actually no, it's funny because what, <laughs> this morning I was looking at my desk. I'm like my desk needs a cleaning. I need to like put stuff. You know, it just kind of accumulates over time and uh, and and. I always like to do these cleanings on holidays because, you know, the kids are in school. You know, I'm fortunate in that regard, <laughs> but the kids are in school. I have time. I don't need to write something. So this is a day to go through and like, you know, really, really get stuff cleaned up. I'm like, oh yeah, I should do that Memorial Day. I'm like, ah, oh, what is that? A few weeks? I didn't even, I didn't even think that it was next week. I was in my head. It was like two or three weeks away. I'm like, I just need to make it through the next two or three weeks and I can get this whole, whole mess cleaned up. But boom, it's a, no, it's actually this Monday. Who knew? It's also, and it, it, it's just a conflation of a bunch of factors, and I know I, I don't even know what what what's the average daily temperature these days in uh, in Taipei. Oh, it's it's toasty. Uh, like pro- oh shoot, I'm going to say Celsius. I'm going to get you upset. Uh, it's actually relatively cool this week. It's in the 80s, uh, low 80s this week, or maybe 70s to 80s. But very soon it will be in the 90s. But no, I'm looking at today's high is 27, which is about 80 degrees Celsius. Uh, it's been a very uh, cold May in the U.S., at least at, at parts of the U.S. that I follow and certainly where I live, you know, or, or at least everywhere I've been this month. <laughs> which <laughs> which is where you live. Which is where I live. Uh, but I think that in my that, In my extensive travel up and down the block. I think that that makes it – it really makes it even more ridiculous that it's Memorial Day in – five days because it's like i've only worn shorts on like two days and i'm you know uh, i'm not like an aggressive get the shorts out while it's still cold but you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm on the the leading edge of switching from <laughs> jeans to shorts uh 
And I've only worn shorts like two days. Although I'm wearing shorts today, even though it was only 60 degrees, you'll never guess why. You were moving charcoal? Oh, I bet. <laughs> I, 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 my belt broke. And, I, <laughs> and none of my jeans really stay up without a belt. It's just, it's just, I don't think I buy uh, the wrong size jeans. I just, I don't really, it's, it runs in the, on my dad's side of the family. We're not, we don't really have much in the way of hips. So, you know, pants just tend to slide right down. So I've always been a belt wearer, but now I don't, you know, my belt's half broken. It's sort of like, and so I just put shorts on instead of making do with a broken belt. Have you ever considered a shift to suspenders? <laughs> with my jeans? No, I have not. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. It, it's a broken belt. And this is the thing. I only own one belt. Uh, and it's lasted me for years. I don't remember the last time I had to replace it. And, it, you know, I am clearly in, you know, d- dad clothes territory where I, you know, obviously uh, a lot of my shirts and jeans and et cetera are a lot older than I probably would guess that they are. Um I don't remember when I bought this belt. It served me well. Uh, but what I would do if it weren't quarantine is I would have just gone out like yesterday and just gone from store to store in Center City, Philadelphia until I found an acceptable belt to my eyes. And then I'd have a belt. And it would have been probably, you know, you can't predict because who knows, maybe the first store I would have popped into, maybe they wouldn't have had a belt or maybe they wouldn't have had one, you know, in my size could happen. Um, but I would guess within 90 minutes, I could leave my house and then I would be in possession of a new belt. But now in quarantine time, you have to order it and, and you know, it takes, takes a long time. Now I don't it's, have it's a belt. An amazing, it's an amazing allegory for, for the entire system. You, you, were, you were utilizing just-in-time uh, apparel purchases where you, you, no need for you to carry inventory. Uh, you, you have what you need. If it breaks, uh, the, you you don't you can tap right into the supply chain and it's there, right? Uh, but now it turns out it turns out the, you you had no you had no slack in the system as right. it were, uh, and 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 you're in trouble. So I've got shorts on and my legs are cold. <laughs> so we can, I should let this go. Speaking of a brief digression, so you grew up in in Wisconsin. Uh, when when did you move to Asia? How old were you? Uh, I was twenty three. Uh, two thousand and two thousand and three. So, so how, my, I have a. How long did it take you to get used in your head to Celsius as as the? Because uh, everybody, I mean, any, any long time listeners know this is a hobby horse of mine. Yeah, I I, I like I, I'm actually on board with the uh, Fahrenheit is more human legible and usable. So I actually I actually agree with you. I'm not going to give you a fight on it, but uh, but I do use Celsius here just because everyone else uses Celsius. So if you're right. usually if you're talking about the weather, you're talking about the weather with people here. Uh, I, I don't know. It didn't it didn't take too long. The thing that always stuck in my head is that 28 degrees in Celsius is 82 degrees in Fahrenheit. Hmm. And then it's like 1.9 degrees around that. And given that it's generally warm here, you can you – know, like that was enough of a – I could get close enough in my head until over time you just kind of get used to it and you know how how something feels. But it's funny because a couple of years ago, I moved uh, up to the sort of more traditional foreigner neighborhood – uh, in Taiwan, because my kids go to the American school here and is be, be closer to that. And 
you know, it's funny, the folks up here, or especially the Forders, uh, are also, I'm friends with several Fahrenheit diehards. So I've, I've been stuck in this weird, um, this weird middle ground where I fully adapted to Celsius. Uh, I went native, as it were. And now I'm being, uh, faced with the, uh, Fahrenheit truthers on a regular day to day basis, and it's a little disorienting. But you're you're you know because of your it's like being bilingual it's very similar but you you can you could hear either one and and you kind of have a good idea like if somebody says oh my god it's uh you know 61 degrees and you know and you know that it's it's memorial day you realize that's that's pretty chilly for Fahrenheit for Memorial Day weekend, 61 yeah, degrees. That's right. And and I think this is maybe the case with bilinguals also. Like when other people say it, I'm fine to absorb it. But it's when they want me to produce it where – and I'm like locked into one way of thinking, right? So I'm thinking about it or I look it up my phone and like, oh, that's what the temperature is. And they're like, oh, how's it feel today? And I'm like, you know, or what's the temperature? And then I want to help them and translate and that's when it gets trickier. But if they say, oh, yeah, it's going to be in the 70s. Then yeah, I still have the sort of latent knowledge of what well, I usually go back to the U.S. every year, so I'm used to switching back and forth. But yeah, so it's interesting. I've never, I've never thought about the particulars of uh, switching back and forth between temperature systems, but it does happen. I don't think I would ever be able to get used to it. I, I guess it's probably a lot <laughs> of all the other problems I might have moving to another country, uh, especially if it spoke a different language. I'd probably adjust sooner to the celsius but i never i don't know it doesn't make any sense to me i've always i've told this story before but it's still my favorite is uh and i'm not i'm not a like a radical on the issue i just staunchly believe that fahrenheit is a better scale for for uh for weather because it's based on the human condition not who gives a crap what the boiling point of water is. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life that that's where Well, the other problem is Celsius is not precise enough, right? If so right. Like in, in in the car, like it it adjusts it by 0. 0.5 because right. a, a single it's too much for for a car. So yeah, it's it's a um Fahrenheit Fahrenheit, it's more finely grained in a positive way. Right. Well, we were talking about this. This was and and as this uh as we learned more about the COVID-19, you know, we realized that fa- fever is still a very common symptom, but it is an absolute, you know, it's there's plenty of people who wind up terribly ill who never have a fever, you know, so it's it it doesn't really prove anything. But, you know, it's it, in the early days they were like it was there was a lot of uh Make sure you don't have a fever, you know. And even now, you know, like in it, uh, like I think you say that, like when you guys go out to eat, you get like a temperature check. And I know that that's a worldwide thing at airports as as the airports prepare for the return to some semblance of normalcy with travel. That passengers will be given, you know, temperature checks. Just you know, anybody has a raging fever, let's let's you know get them out of the get them out of the queue. Um. But I don't understand how, you know, you do it here, you get, you know, you, you two degrees high, hey, you might have a fever. You know, in Celsius, it's like, what do you, you like a tenth of a degree off and, and you got a fever? I mean, it's crazy. It is funny because that's one I've had a harder time. But it's weird because I think because I, I, I paid much more attention to fever temperatures once I had kids than before. And so it's super locked in in my head, the Celsius numbers that are relevant for right. fevers. And yeah. I actually have a hard time with Fahrenheit where someone like, oh, it's like 103 temperature. I'm like, what, what does that mean? Is that bad? Oh, that's like, oh, really bad. bad. That's like, go or get 101 a, or Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. Go, go pour ice into the tub and, you know, I mean, you got to, you know, you're in big trouble. 100, no, it's nice because 100, 100 means you probably have a fever. 
Right, right. So, but like a hundred, yeah, hundred is so hundred is a, a thirty-eight point three degrees Celsius. Oh, but in Celsius, it's thirty-seven. So thirty-seven is is ninety-eight point six um, Fahrenheit. Well, well, I mean ninety-eight. What is it? Ninety-eight point four or nine? What is the Fahrenheit? Nine, well, normal? see, that's the thing. I just linked to this for for over a hundred years. It was considered right, it, ninety-eight point six, right? and ninety-eight point six was considered normal. And and now they're saying experts are saying. The average healthy human temperature is actually lower than 98.6, but they don't tell you what it is. They're not saying it's 98.2. They're just like, oh, it's not, it's not 98.6. And the reason we've said 98.6 for a hundred years was that there was some guy like in the 1890s who like went around and, and did the hard work of taking the temperature, like 5,000 people and figured out the average is 98.6. But the consensus now is that everybody back then was actually sick all the time because. Right, but this is an example where the Celsius one is easier. Thirty-seven is normal, and thirty-eight is a fever. Like there's, you don't mm-hmm. have to get. There's no decimal points necessary. Mm-hmm. So maybe just by sort of by mm-hmm. by luck in, in yeah. happenstance, it happens to be round numbers. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, but a hundred sounds dangerous. You know what I mean? That's the thing. See, that's the thing that I love about Fahrenheit and arguing with people about it is that the <laughs> the beauty of the metric system is this idea that you know it's based on. Uh, you know that that hundreds and thousands and powers of ten are useful, uh, uh, you know, scales, and it makes all the math work out easier. You know, and it's crazy. You know, and I'm trying to shift. You know, I'm doing a lot more like on daring fireball with weights using uh, uh, with length. I, I'm a little bit less consistent, but like certainly with weight, I, I I appreciate grams versus ounces. Because the ounces to pounds thing is just it's the the it's insanity. The, it's insanity. It's just uh, well, no, but inches to feet are too. Like anything that's not. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, but that's the thing is the temperature Celsius is a total bullshit metric, right? If you want to be, if you want to say you're quote unquote scientific, then you should be using Kelvin because that's actually has a root in reality, yeah, which no, is but at zero, nothing's moving. No, but uh, I'm saying Celsius yeah. is right. is right, a right, totally right. arbitrary, I'm right? Yeah, right. So. I, I'm I'm with you. I I I think for humans, actually, the most human friendly set of measurements is basically metric for everything and Fahrenheit for temperature. So yeah. I I'm, I'm I'm there with you. Somebody I was on a Twitter fight with somebody, and and, and it's actually one of the best and funnest things to argue about on Twitter because there are people who feel very strongly on both sides. There are some diehard Celsius people and there's me who's very staunchly Fahrenheit but yet not so much so that if I were to travel to another country that I would insist on, you know, the hotel concierge telling me the temperature (laughs) Fahrenheit. You know, when in Rome do as the Romans. Uh, But it, it never gets ugly. It is a very fun dispute that's you know, famous last words. God, somebody's probably going to get furious at me now. But it's it's very fun. But somebody suggested, and I have to. You know, it's too late now. We can't even pick between these two. But if you could go back and pick the ideal scale, you'd keep zero at Celsius zero, which is where water freezes, and keep a hundred at Fahrenheit's a hundred. So Fahrenheit's one hundred would still be a hundred, um, and. Zero would be what we now call thirty-two degrees Fahrenheit because freezing. No, I don't. I don't like that because the problem is negative numbers are weird, right? Like it, I, I like it if you yeah, get to you'd negative, be negative numbers all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas I'm from Wisconsin, where you know, it, where I like Fahrenheit. I think it, actually it's on the bottom of the scale. Right. It's in the bottom and the top where it makes the most sense. The middle gets fuzzy. Yeah. Like if you're in nineties is really hot and the single digits is really cold 
And if it's in negative digits, it's like, you know, <laughs> like it, it's, or if it's over 100 or less than zero, then it's like extreme. Like it's, da- it's dangerous. dangerous. It's dangerous. Right. You could die. Yeah. Like when you're watching an NFL football game and they tell you that the, the Lambo is, you know, negative 17 or something like that, it's like, forget about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even, I can't even understand how they're doing this. Um, my favorite, here's my favorite story. I got to tell this. I know I've told it before, but I don't think I've told it in years. But, uh, Oh man, I, it was, at some point, if 10, 15 years ago, the Intercontinental San Francisco went up, and that's the hotel right next to Moscone. Uh, nice hotel. I've stayed there numerous times over the years, always enjoyed it. For whatever reason, when it first went up, it had the most unbelievable hotel rates. I, it, it didn't make any sense. Like just booking through their site was relatively inexpensive compared to downtown San Francisco. Although, you know, this is talking like 2008, 2009, 2010, maybe. Right now, hotels, the average hotel room in San Francisco pre pandemic was like $5,000 a night or something. Um, the old days when they were reasonable. Um, but then you could go to like those bargain hunting sites, you know, like a uh, hotwire or something like that. And they wouldn't tell you, you'd be like, well, I want to go to Moscone. And they'd say, here's some offers. And they'd say, this place is within 0.5 miles of where you want to go. But then you could backwards engineer which one was which by like their amenities. Well, this one says they have an indoor pool and a workout center. And the only one that's within half a mile of this that has those two amenities is the intercontinental. You know, you didn't have to do that work yourself. There were like forums you could go to and then they tell you, you know, so then you could, we, there were a bunch of us, a bunch of pals and we booked like a hotel for the week at WWDC at the Intercontinental, which is like a four and a half star hotel. We got it for like, I don't know, it was like $150 a night. It was ridiculous. And, and anybody who's gone to WWDC since they moved to San Jose is like, you know, like laughing at this because you stay at like a one star hotel in San Jose and it's $500 a night. And you're um, still in San Jose. Yeah, and you're still in San Jose. <laughs> so anyway, it wasn't the first time I don't think I was there, but maybe it was. Maybe it was the very first time I was at the Intercontinental San Francisco. Very nice. I check in. I get up to my room, and I go in, and it probably was the first time. And I and one thing I always do when I get to a hotel is I check the temperature on the thermostat because I like it nice and cool when I sleep at night. And I go over, and it was in Celsius. And I thought, oh, I get them at the Intercontinental. It's, you know, got an international flair. They're going to do it in Celsius. And I thought, well, that's, you know, good enough. And I thought, well, I'll give it a down. I gave it like one down click, you know, move it down a degree. And I was like, hell, in Celsius, I probably just moved it down, you know, five degrees in in real temperatures. Uh, (laughs) Go to dinner, go out with friends, have a couple drinks, come back, you know, get a good night's sleep. I wake up in the middle of the night and I got the sweat <laughs> like you just wouldn't believe. I mean, like I'm in like a horror movie. I mean, it's like, and I'm like, did I eat something bad? What's going on? I, I feel terrible. I, and I, I got to get some water. I drink. And I get up and I'm like, I, I'm just hot. I was like, oh my God, this is our first night I came out here. I'm supposed to be here all week. I don't know if it was Macworld or WWDC or what, but I, I, I really thought that I was sick. I thought best case I got food poisoning. Worst case, I'm, I'm coming down with something. I got a fever. And then I think, well, let me check the temperature. And 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 I, oh, yeah, it's Celsius. And I I figured I'd like Googled or used my phone or something to figure it out. Well, son of a bitch, it was whatever it was in Celsius was like eighty four degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> <laughs> and the heat was on in a room. I mean, so like some some son of a bitch. <laughs> no, no, what happened was the the system was off, 
and then you hit the button and that turned it on, but you set it to 29, uh, which would be 84 degrees, and then it kicked on the heat. It was definitely in the 20s. I don't remember what the number was, but it was in the 20s, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. And yeah. uh, and I let it go. No, but I came in and I hit down arrow, so I could have only I should have only been able to move it down. I think some son of a bitch, you know, like the way that like a prankster at a restaurant might unscrew the top of a of a salt shaker, you know, and then you go to get the salt, but because they unscrewed it, now you dump the whole container <laughs> salt on your on your meal. <laughs> I, I personally never did that when I was a teenager. I mean, I don't I don't see any humor in. That sort of prank at all. I think some <laughs> some prankster cranked the heat up on the room and set it to Celsius. Cause then I, I went back to the Intercontinental many times over the years, never once, and I, you know, never got fooled by that again, but it was never even in Celsius again. So anyway, that it's it that that may or may not have hardened my stance on Fahrenheit versus Celsius. <laughs> the root, the root of the issue. <laughs> Oh, this is such a leisurely conversation. It's seriously kind of jarring. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's dig in. Uh, and Because the one thing I know we want to talk about is we want to talk about podcasts because we have a new podcast and we want to talk about that. But literally, uh, who knows? There might have been more news today even. But as of yesterday, there was big, big news in the podcast world. And I, I, you know, I don't think it's an exaggeration um, because – by anybody's metrics, you know, Joe Rogan's show is the second most popular podcast in the world. And it's- it, it bounces back and forth between one and two. So it's, it's right. I, I think it's safe to say it's the most popular podcast because he also has a massive YouTube presence where it's right. like sort of simulcast. So I think I would I, I'd feel comfortable calling him the biggest podcaster in the world. And, and the this the one that's currently ahead of him is called Call Call Me Daddy. I think right, I don't know. which is which is a big going, and the reason it's above him is because there's a big controversy around it, which is actually super duper interesting. I was just, I was, just, yeah. um, but no, Rogan is usually number one. That's just number one right now because of the controversy. But although that's also a huge podcast, and usually in the top twenty or something like that. Right. Um, and anyway, so the big deal yesterday was that Joe Rogan, uh, perhaps the arguably the most popular podcaster on the planet. Uh, announced a deal with Spotify to move his show, not just to Spotify, but to move it there exclusively by the end of the year. Meaning um, at some point in the next few months, the show will move to Spotify, but you can uh, you, you could still listen to it wherever you're currently listening to it, you know, using Overcast or Apple Podcasts or Castro or any, I mean, I don't know how many podcast apps there are. I mean, there's dozens and dozens of all of them, you know, to some degree popular, um, which is sort of the point of podcasting being an open, an open medium. Uh, they'll still work, but by the end of the year, you're either using Spotify to listen to Joe Rogan or you're not listening to Joe Rogan. And that's, that's right. It, yeah, which is, and so this is different than what they've done with acquiring The Ringer or acquiring Gimlet Media. Those Both Gimlet and The Ringer have launched podcasts that are Spotify exclusives, but the big podcast that sort of already existed on those services, you know, like the Bill Simmons podcast, which I know we both listen to, yeah. is still available sort of broadly. I, I do think it does raise the question how long that's going to last because – the the whole point of doing this exclusive is i mean there's so many there's so many angles to this but my strong point of view is that spotify is looking to build uh sort of a a, a, a advertising service around podcasts that's about 
you know, streaming and dynamically giving you ads that are tailored to you as opposed to sort of, you know, your ads, you know, the Linode ad, everyone gets it. There's some podcasts that do, they insert ads on download that are based on IP, but, you know, giving you an ad based on your IP address is the barest possible of sort of like customization. It doesn't know anything about you and your interests and et cetera, et cetera, like a Facebook ad, for example. And so Facebook, you know, but for Spotify to do this, and to not sort of be paying out of the nose for every podcaster, they need to basically show they can monetize podcasts better than you can on your own. But that means they need to pull over more users under their platform. And so the the play here is they have, you know, 20% share of the market or something along those lines. And can they and most of Spotify's growth has been new users, right? Apple Podcast hasn't necessarily lost listeners overcast hasn't lost people to spotify if spotify has brought new people into podcasting which by the way i think is worth noting because they are to date in generally speaking have been a net contributor to the overall ecosystem but now they're trying to not just get new listeners but to yank a bunch of listeners from the other podcast players yeah and i think it's worth and and it's not an original observation, but it's so interesting that I think it's worth noting is that podcasts are the one area of the web that ad tech hasn't ruined. And we, you know, it's funny. I wasn't really planning it, and a lot of as often happens with this show, but it ties in to our opening where we were talking about ads wrecking a browser tab. Um, it 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 really is the case that you know, like. I think you just mentioned the Punch the Monkey ad, right? Which famous is sort of like the first banner ad that people remember from like the late 90s. Uh, And people were annoyed by it because banner ads seemed dumb. It was like, punch the monkey and you might win a prize. This is, I mean, if you're too young or your memory is too bad and you don't remember it, there were these ads that were at the top of web pages at like Hotwire. It was literally punch the monkey. (laughs) Right. And like honestly, we're not obfuscating anything. Right. That's what the ad was, <laughs> right? And and so the gimmick was it was a horizontal like think of like a little a little ruler going across the top of the page, like maybe an inch high and four inches across. And there was a little animate a cartoon monkey who animated from one side to the other. And the idea was you'd cl- if you could you could punch him. You you know your cursor would turn into a boxing glove, and if you could click right on the monkey's face, you you might win a prize. And it was so funny because as a web developer, I was like, I don't think that's possible. And in like the late '90s, I'd still think it actually wasn't. You know, certainly not without Flash or something like that. It wasn't really possible with just JavaScript and animated GIFs. It, it, certainly, the HTML didn't make anything programmatic possible and then you'd like view source and look at it it was just an animated gif and it was like you didn't have to actually punch the monkey you just had to click the ad and it's like oh duh that's the whole point make you click the ad because it didn't seem very hard very famous ad and we all thought oh boy ads on the web stink (laughs) little did we know that they would (laughs) make our fans turn on eventually well, so th- this is very interesting, though, because I-, I actually have an example of this ad on on an article I wrote last year about Spotify and their sort of goals in podcasting. And the text of the ad is, punch the monkey and win a free iPod. 
And the thing was, but no, they actually weren't lies. You right. really could get free iPods, and you like you had to like sign up for a few, like you would go to these pages, and it would have lists of all these things you had to do. You had to apply for several credit cards. You had to apply for a Netflix account. This is an underappreciated and unknown thing about Netflix's growth. Netflix was all over these affiliate marketing schemes. Like hmm. that's how they juiced a lot of their early growth, particularly back in the DVD days. Uh, there was like subscription video courses, or you sign up, you could download sort of stuff. All these sorts of stuff, and all these all these products had huge lifetime values. Think about Netflix, right? The idea for Netflix is you're paying them X amount a month, basically forever. And those are the if they can get you signed up and into their system, it's worth a lot. It's worth so much that it actually became viable to give people free iPods if they were willing to jump through all these hoops because some number of those people would stick around to the extent that would more than pay for for that for that sort of thing. And so what's funny is that's actually what podcast advertising kind of is today, right? You sign up, you put in a code or you use a special URL or something along those lines. And that's kind of a pain in the rear end because you have to figure out, oh, did the host read the ad correctly? We have to have tracking. We have to see how many people signed up. We have to compare that to our baseline, et cetera, et cetera. But it's worth it for like Linode. You you mentioned in your ad a $5 a month plan, right? Sounds super cheap. Well, $5 a month for a year is $60 a month. You put a widow's website up there that you feel like you should maintain forever. Suddenly, 10 years later, you've paid Linode $600, and that's worth a lot. That's worth the hassle of going through you to sign up. Or you know, uh, Squarespace comes with a free domain name. Well, guess what? Once you have a domain name, you feel attached to that. You feel like you have to keep paying for it, and Squarespace ends up harvesting money from you for a very, very, very long time. The problem, though, well, you're really, you're really selling these spots on today's show, Ben. <laughs> Sorry. Not, is Squarespace coming up? <laughs> yeah, of course they are. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I've, I've, it's, it's, sorry, it's your ads. No, it's all right. You know what? Everybody knows. I think listeners of this show know enough to multiply whatever monthly price is by 12 to get a yearly. And Oh, I, fo- I, I, I get it. I no, you're making a like, good point. You're making a good point. I own point. like 40 domain names. I and it's very annoying because my domain registrar lists. It's on like the main page. It's a terrible like these people need help in in, in their marketing schemes because it shows you your annual spend, <laughs> and it's very disturbing every time I walk in. I spend like over a thousand dollars every year to maintain all these domain names that I might or might not use in the future. It's uh, it's it's terrible, but it's a very that's why it's a great business and. That's why they they advertise on th- they go to the hassle of advertising on podcasts because advertising on podcasts is difficult. Whereas advertising and so this is the same thing on the web. The problem though is there aren't that many companies that have business models that make sense for this, right? So you ha- again credit cards, Netflix accounts, sure made sense for the early web, but then you had a a you know a, lots of other companies that ought to advertise or you would think want to advertise but never did because it was too it didn't make sense and so there you know mary meeker used to make those charts every year about you know in one of the charts that she would always have was usage versus monetization or like u.s media usage to ad spending ratios and what happened again and again and again is the internet would say well the internet is has all this time spent but the internet share of advertising is super small and everyone couldn't figure out like, oh, maybe just the internet is never going to work for advertising. What happened was, was no one was doing the right kind of advertising. And and so because they're doing these sorts of things and, the, and once 
it was figured out that you could do targeted customized advertising, boom, that window closed very, very, very quickly. Um, but sorry, that was a, that was a that was a monologue. No, but that's good though. It's 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 on point. Um, it, well, that's it, the thing it, with podcasts though. It's like there, there's right. Spotify sees this window. They see there's all this time spent on podcasting. The level of monetization is is very small relative to the time spent. So there's an opportunity to close that window, just like Facebook and Google close the window on on, on the web. But the you know the the oh, as a user, the thing that is so striking is that podcasts have been around now for quite a while. Uh, it's funny we I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there's a Slack you and I are both on, and I would dug up. Uh, uh, the question came up as to where the calling our friend of the show, Craig Hockenberry, the talking about his giant fleshy palms and his hum- humongous hands and how he would attack somebody in a fight. Um, and everybody knew vaguely that it came up at some point on the original run of the talk show that I did with Dan Benjamin, but when exactly nobody knew. And um, I figured out the easiest way to figure out when it was, was I asked David underscore Smith. <laughs> who has both an encyclopedic memory and has like programmatically generated uh, transcripts of a bunch of shows. And we figured it out. Um, It was an episode from, it was almost exactly around this time of year. It was like late March or early mid March, 2008. So, you know, I was podcasting 12 years ago. Um, And it was funny because we were talking about uh, Dan and I at that episode, we didn't even have sponsors back then. We thought about it. We tried to get it, but it was like so foreign 12 years ago that there would be sponsors on a podcast that we didn't have sponsors on the podcast. And we were joking that the Icon Factory should sponsor the show to to promote uh, uh, Twitterific for iPhone, which was brand new at the time because 2008 was when the App Store opened up. Um, I think in March it was like, coming yeah i think that apple had announced the sdk and it would be coming in a couple months um so in some ways that seems like a long time ago uh, in some ways uh, seems like forever ago and in some ways it feels like well but podcasting is still podcasting and it's just like you know the idea that you could monetize it through sponsorships just sort of came up and whether they're big shows or smaller shows you know that they're more or less the same and nothing's been wrecked Right. Like that's the thing is that it doesn't feel like, um, and, and the web is so hostile as a reader sometimes. Like, with, you know, uh, you go to somebody says, read this article, and you go to read the article, and a thing pops up literally covering the article that says, do you want to subscribe to our newsletter or do you want to turn off, please consider turning off your ad blocker? And you have to click this and click that just to read the thing that you got. And however much annoyed people were by print advertising ever, they never put ads over the article because it wasn't even possible to put an ad. How could you put an ad over the article in print? It couldn't happen. And it certainly wouldn't pop up while you were a hundred words into the article, which is what some things do now. You start scrolling and then they pop up the the stupid thing. Yeah, it's um, terrible. There's nothing like that in podcasting. I mean, maybe I say nothing and you know, I'm sure there's people who are working on it and maybe you can find it in certain corners, but most of the you know, the using podcast apps podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and 
Overcast and Castro and all the popular ones and listening to popular open podcasts where you just subscribe to an RSS feed and you can just type the name of the show and the podcast client gets it by searching the iTunes directory, which Apple has very generously made open to anybody to use. And then you get it and it, you type Joe Rogan and there's the Joe Rogan show. And then you hit play and you just start listening and like there might be sponsorships, but they don't, they're not the equivalent uh, of, of web pop-ups that keep you from reading it, you know? Yeah, but here's here's something that is maybe a defense of Spotify and what they're trying to do with with this. The ads on you're talking about ads in web pages and browsers. And those ads sort of arise out of desperation to an extent where, you know, everyone's competing the whole problem with the internet as far from a business proposition goes is that you're competing with every other web page on the internet at all times right you don't have any sort of geographic advantage or some sort of you know because you can access a server in the US or access a server in Europe or in Asia just as easy for all intents and purposes as any other one and that's great if you're small like me and you want to like I have as much reach as the New York Times why because we're both on the internet <laughs> so it, it's we actually have identical reach right Right? But that makes it very, very hard to monetize because advertisers could go anywhere. And the whole thing with ad tech is that it, it, you know, it follows you around the internet and you know, with all the pluses and minuses that that, that that entails, probably mostly minuses. But on the other hand, advertising on Facebook and advertising on Instagram is, doesn't have that experience. There's no performance penalty to ads on Facebook and Instagram. They're highly, highly optimized to make sure they load well and quickly and don't interfere with your session. There's often like the amount of stuff I buy on Instagram is kind of ridiculous. There's always like cool little things. It's like, oh, like I bought a pencil case for my daughter the other day because she like into art, just all this sort of stuff. And it was a very clever design. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, and you, th- and why? Because it's sort of built in as a first class citizen in a way that fits the format, right? It fits the, if it's in the feed, it's similar to the content around it. And that is what Spotify is trying to do. They're, they're trying to build a system that's sort of fully integrated because the thing with Spotify, like, you know, why is Spotify doesn't download MP3s? Why do you have to go to Spotify right. as a podcaster and sign up? Because they're, they ingest your MP3 and into their streaming infrastructure and everything is streamed. Well, everything is streamed. Then inserting ads that are streamed and dynamic is becomes a much more approachable problem than trying to stick it dynamically into an MP3 or something. So right now, the ugliest advertising in podcasting are these dynamically inserted ads on download. They don't fit the podcast at all. It's awkward. There's this weird kind of pseudo targeting based on like your IP address, but that's actually the, the worst. Because you, I mean, the podcast we most listen to, it's all host read and it feels very, you know, like, like that's people like it because it feels friendly, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, you can skip through it, but if you listen to it, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, and then on the other hand, you can envision a, a Spotify world where things are much smoother and just tied together in a much more cogent way, but there is this messy middle world that is actually the better analogy, I think, to advertising on the web. Hmm. Well, anyway, Joe Rogan and, is... And the, well, well, <laughs> just one more point on this. No, because I think it's, ver- it's well, really interesting because I've been very oppositional to Spotify, but the reason I'm oppositional to Spotify is because they don't support openness at all. 
So like the so you for example, Dithering, our new podcast, is open. It's not free. You have to pay to get a feed, but that feed can go into any podcast app. You can add it to Apple Podcasts, you can app it to Overcast, you can add it to Pocket Casts, you can add it to iTunes, like whatever you, you could you could put the feed in your browser and look at the feed and see exactly what the enclosures are, where the MP3s come from, et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, obviously, you know, it's like email, like in, which I have experience with. I sell email and now I sell op, you know, open sort of our, our RSS feeds. It's the same sort of concept, but it's not free because you have to get your own customized one. Spotify, the Joe Rogan podcast is going to be free, but there's no mechanism to put in an arbitrary RSS feed, which means that Spotify is not just building the system. They're also shutting off every other possible means to sort of monetize and build a podcast. And that's what bothers me as a publisher, even though as an analyst, I appreciate what they're doing. I think there's a big opportunity here. I think it's smart by them. And as a sort of podcaster, I actually think there's potential here. There's potential for Spotify to build a a Facebook – in the, the positive parts of Facebook, a pleasant experience that monetizes way better than what we have currently. Well, but then I look at the way that it, – it, podcasting is the exception to that regard. Right, like stuff that you see as you scroll has been dominated by Facebook, and you know Instagram is part of Facebook, and and I get the entirety of Instagram's monetization strategy occurred post acquisition, uh, right? I don't think Instagram had any kind of ads at all before Facebook acquired them. Yeah, that was um, the reason why Facebook got regulatory approval right. because it, uh, it wasn't perceived as being right. competitive because they weren't monetizing, which right. is kind of amazing in retrospect but (laughs) really really like no this is a perfect example of like not understanding the internet like instagram was clearly a social network it's very visual how else on earth would they ever monetize of course it's going to be advertising right (laughs) and there's other ways they could have done it and like you said they they worked out a way to do native ads that uh you know that that don't you know certainly haven't kept people from using instagram in the aggregate um um, but you know, there's other ways they could have done it. But that fact that they could do it at all was it just it was sort of really ignorant to pretend like well, but their revenue is zero, so you know they're just losing money, so there's no problem. <laughs> um, but look, I look at video, and you know, there's there's just no equivalent to, and there never really was an equivalent to podcasting for video. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. just a very strange difference because, okay, video is by size, you know, like a video file is a lot bigger than an audio file. But we've reached the point where people have internet access now where I guess hosting still would be a concern if you were just going to host video on your own server. Your bandwidth would still be a concern. But it's one of those areas where. Uh, hosting my own website just isn't a thing that I I don't think about it anymore. Like even Daring Fireball, which doesn't have many images, has almost no video in the history of the site relative to most sites, very, very low bandwidth. Um, In the earlier years of Daring Fireball, as it grew in popularity, the amount of bandwidth I was using a month was something I had to keep an eye on. 
and right. you know slowly but surely over time had to up my hosting plans and you know move move to higher level plans and and it was never in terms of business cost a significant factor like my accountant was always you know like just stunned at the you know the level of my like hosting costs to the revenue he was like this is an unbelievable business um cuz you know he's not my accountant isn't coming from the world of internet you know he's coming from you know the real world mm-hmm. um but bandwidth was a concern just you know 15 20 years ago for a site like daring fireball so obviously video is bigger than that but it's it's not that different from audio in my mind but yet the way that the two media ecosystems on the internet have evolved couldn't be more opposite, right? Where we're at this point now, and in 2020, we're only beginning to talk about Spotify as a company that might be building a a monster walled garden of exclusive content. I mean, and I say audio, and I'm talking about spoken word audio, because obviously music is something that's you know entirely different. Um, and I guess it's not a surprise that somebody like Spotify is evolving into the world of spoken world stuff coming from music where they, that's how they built up the massive hundred, literally hundreds of millions of users. Um, whereas video never had that. There was never really an, a popular open video world and there's stuff for professional quote unquote, you know, TV shows, TV style shows and movies like Netflix and it's, you know, Apple TV Plus now and HBO and, and others, Hulu, et cetera. Um, and of course, YouTube, right? YouTube for, which is the closer equivalent to podcasting in terms of supporting independence, right? Like, you know, people in our sphere. I mean, I, you know, somebody like Renee Ritchie, who's always on the show is now that that's his, you know, now that he left iMore, his primary gig is his YouTube channel. Um, that goes through YouTube, and that is so different from a it, the mindset of being an independent media producer from podcasting. And I was reading today, you know, you and I started talking about Joe Rogan in this move yesterday, um, and I know that he has a big YouTube presence too. You mentioned it just a bit ago that this is, you know, it's a factor in the, you know, the success of his show. Um, but I also read today that he's had an enormous amount of problems with YouTube, uh, quote unquote, demonetizing him, uh, et cetera, over the years, I guess, based on arguments over the content of the show. Yeah, because he, he like he's one of the things about his show is he will basically interview anyone and everyone it, it like he he's a sort of, you know. All the way on the extreme of the, you know, I might disagree with you, but like I'm going to let, let, give you your right to right. talk, and that goes on his show. So he, like he's had, I think, like Alex Jones on his right. on his podcast before. So just to take like an extreme example of somebody who's clearly controversial, whatever you think of Alex Jones. Which, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So so, it, so this is very yeah. And so that's an issue for him, and one of the reasons that pushed him away from YouTube because I think he's been talking about that a lot. But there's a there there's actually. A, a few really interesting points in what you just talked about. You, you mentioned the, well, yeah, it's different bandwidth, but I think there's a certain sort of like, there's a tech mindset, which, you know, I think we would both share, which at the end of the day, it's all ones and zeros, right? Text and, and audio right. and video. It's all just going over the same pipes as it were in the same format. Right. And the truth though, is I actually think that the cost of bandwidth has fundamentally shaped 
the fact that text and audio and video are just totally different. Yeah. Like, I, I actually think that is all that matters right. and because it just wasn't – you know, you think about – go back to when uh, Napster sort of blew up in you know 1999, I believe it was, or 1998, 99, and it was on the edge of sort of possible on, – on, if you were on a dial-up, which most people were, it would take like an hour to download a song. We were on the university broadband network, so it was like amazing. But even then, compared to today, it still took forever. But there was no way – there were some people that were sharing video even at that time you know, via – you know, you'd have these crazy sketchy sites. And you'd, right. you'd do like FTP logins and, uh, to like other people's computers across the internet. And it was er- insane. And and like it, it, you were downloading like a, a – a, a movie it would come across is like 50 different files you know that were that, that's numbered, right. split up and numbered and then you'd have software on your computer to to put them all back together but it was because the downloads were so unreliable and so slow that you couldn't possibly risk having one file of the whole thing because it you know it, you might get 90 percent of the 90% way there through yep and it yep. would you know somebody would pick up the phone <laughs> and, then, and not just that but you would download it for like a week Right. And then you would play it, and it was like postage stamp size, yeah. <laughs> because it was so the, like the size of video is so astronomically larger right. that I think that's why it, it it never became sort of user you know peer to peer sort of thing. It was it's right. always been centralized services. Yes, you can host your own video, but you ha- like in today it's actually more viable because of widespread CDNs and things on those lines. But it's already too late because YouTube is dominant, and right. you're just going to use YouTube. Or, you know, sort of professionally speaking, Napster or not Napster, Netflix is is sort of, you know, was early to this and established a very dominant position. Whereas uh, audio files, because they were small enough, they sort of you started out with a peer to peer thing and with everyone having a bunch of MP3s. And so Spotify came in in a very different position in the market because instead of competing against nothing, like YouTube was or or Netflix was, it was competing against piracy. And so that shaped how the service was created and formed. And the same thing – and so that's number one that's different. But then number two with podcasts in particular, you know, podcasts started – Apple launched the podcast support in 2005 or something, I, I think, like that. Uh, I mean, the name podcast didn't even exist until 2004. I think, um, you know, Dave Weiner – produce something along the lines of late 90s, but you'll say mid-2000s, somewhere around then. What's interesting is that's the same time that YouTube started. YouTube was in 2006, I think. Yeah. And the the difference, though, is uh, YouTube grew up around YouTube and podcasts grew up around Apple and iTunes. And the reason why I think nothing has happened in podcasts until the last couple of years is because Apple was the only obvious candidate to do something about it, and they just continuously chose not to do anything. And so that left it in sort of a state of stasis where if Apple had cared to lift a finger, they could have completely shaped and owned and dominated the entire market. But by virtue of doing nothing, nothing happened, and also no one else could do anything. And what this whole Joe Rogan thing fits into this because it's an attempt by Spotify to basically wrest control of the system away from Apple because without a centralized player, it's never going to evolve beyond what it is. And Spotify is not that centralized player now, and they're trying to become it. All right, let's take a break. We can pick this back up and thank our next sponsor, Oh, man, I love these guys. I am enjoying their product right now, literally, as we record the show. Yes, please, coffee. Now, they spell it funny way. Speaking of taking out some vowels, Y-E-S, 
PLZ. Yes, please. Coffee uh, is the sponsor I want to tell you about. I'm enjoying some of their coffee right now. Uh, I just love it. It's my favorite coffee. It is delicious. It, I would say this. I would tell you to go buy Yes, Please Coffee, even if, even if they weren't sponsoring the show. What you do is you go to their site, yesplease.coffee. What a great domain name, Y-E-S-P-L-Z.coffee. You sign up. Uh, you get a subscription. You tell them how often you want coffee. You want it every week, every two weeks, every four weeks, whatever. How much do you want at a time? And then the coffee just starts showing up to your house as you go. This is a great service right now for obvious reasons since we're not going out. It's a great service in general, even in normal times. I've been getting mail order coffee for years and years. Um, actually, back in the day when it was called Tonks, uh, well, guess what? Tonks, uh, Tony Konechny, the founder of Tonks, he's the Tonks and Tonks. He's the founder of Yes, Please Coffee. So he's actually back. So if you remember back in the day when Tonks Coffee was sponsoring this show, well, now his new company, Yes, Please, is sponsoring the show. They're doing great. They are holding up during the quarantine. Uh, they're well-stocked. They've got coffee. Their small team and production is isolated. They're staying safe as they pack up and ship your coffee every week. Uh, U.S. Postal Service still going strong. So you can get world-class coffee. Seriously, the best coffee I've ever had in the world delivered right to your door on a schedule you control. That's yes, please. There's no hassle, no commitment. If you don't, if you just want to try a bag, just see how good it is, you could just do that. Um, and they have a coupon, special coupon just for readers of the show. Fireball 5. Fireball 5 saves you 5 bucks off your first bag. Try it. Just do, try one bag of their coffee. Here's the thing, too. They make it, their website, once you sub subscribe, makes it so easy to manage your shipments. I, I used to tr make coffee every morning and then I'd go out in the afternoon, get a second cup of coffee, you know, out and about. Well, I don't go out and about anymore. I'm locked up. It's quarantine. So I had to uh, effectively more than double my delivery coffee. Just like two clicks, two clicks, hit okay. Now I have more coffee. Things go back to normal a couple weeks from now, maybe months from now. Who knows? I want to go back. Two clicks away from decreasing my subscription. Uh, it's so super easy, no commitment, and it's seriously, seriously my favorite coffee in the world. I just love it. I'm drinking it right now. Uh, so go to yes, please, y e s p l z dot coffee, and then remember that code Fireball five save five bucks off your first order. My thanks to yes, please. Go get some. And a great example where subscriptions are not a bad thing. It's a win-win. I mean, right. you, you, you know what you don't have. You, you're not walking around Central City, Philadelphia, with a bunch of boarded-up shops trying to find coffee. No, you couldn't find coffee you, right now if you, if you tried. Joanna Stern was on the show a couple of weeks ago. She said that her neighborhood place is serving takeout coffee. So I'm sure there's places in Philly you could get it. None of my favorite places are, are open. I hope they're all doing okay. I don't know. I mean, I hope all the people, the regular baristas I know are doing well. I worry about them. It's been a long time. But uh, yeah, yeah. To, yes, please. I mean, again, they are a sponsor. I mean, they're they're sponsoring the show. But it is absolutely a fantastic subscription service and a terrific product to have a subscription for. And uh, and, and a great match for a podcast because yeah. you, 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 like people like you, they care about your opinion. You say this is actually great. I'd recommend it regardless. And then at least in theory, they're getting X number of dollars per you for month yeah. 
for a very, very, very long time. It's a well, win-win. Well, and hundred percent, it's all based on their confidence. Seriously, uh, I mean, I've talked to Tonks about it. They're just confident that if you like coffee and you try their coffee, that and you subscribe, that you'll keep subscribing because the coffee speaks for itself. Here, listen, I can prove it. This is the proof. You you can't fake this. This is the proof right here. Listen, that's me pouring the remainder of my uh, nighttime pot of coffee here. It's eleven thirty at night in Philadelphia. I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> this is this is how we end up with dithering because usually in the morning, like it's 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 the evening West Coast time, and so I'm busy talking to people, et cetera, et cetera. And then it gets into sort of the the noon time here, early afternoon, and everyone's sort of dropping off, going to bed, being quiet. I'm trying to do work, uh, and <laughs> but not you. You're always still awake. I made so you. <laughs> We have, I want to talk about dithering in the third segment of the show, but it is funny because last week we recorded we recorded ten ten o'clock Eastern ten. It actually works out beautifully. We're we're twelve hours apart. I forget is that that's not true three hundred sixty five days a year. There's a part of the yeah, year. There, there's no daylight savings time here, so oh. uh, so it, then it becomes thirteen hours. Oh, that you know what we could talk about daylight savings time. You know, if we haven't angered everybody with Fahrenheit Celsius, I could get on the I could get on this. I love no daylight. No, you guys are always daylight savings, isn't that? No, the case? we're never daylight savings. Oh, no, so I hate it. It's, oh, it's that's bad terrible. because it yeah it gets dark too early. Like who oh. wants it to get dark early? These people that rage against daylight savings time are out of their minds. They're just complaining to complain. They haven't thought oh. about anything. And you know, I, every time I rail about, I'm with you. I mean, I'm a night owl too. But uh, you know, I mean, there are times I have to get up early. You know, sometimes you have like a six a.m. flight or five thirty flight or something. You got to get up, get to the airport. Who cares if it's dark? It's early in the morning. Uh, you, just, you feel miserable anyway. It's yeah. not like you're gonna. It's like you're appreciating the light. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Joe Rogan, Howard Stern is the. Uh, we thought about talking about it on Dithering. We're like, no, let's save it. Let's save it for the talk show. Joe Howard Stern does not identify as a podcaster, and if anything, uh, <laughs> you know, if you listen to him, he'll rail against the fact that he thinks podcasters are a bunch of hacks, and you know they don't. He, he he's sort of anti-podcast. Um, but uh, you know, uh, semantics of a, what exactly is a podcaster or not. Howard Stern is effectively the proto podcaster. Yep. No, that's exactly it. I, I've always made this point about Bill Simmons, who Bill Simmons never wrote a blog, and he's I've complained about bloggers, but he was the first blogger in spirit, right? It, because it was the tone and the way in which, like, the whole like fan perspective, and I'm going to put my allegiances out there, and you know, going to write about it seemingly inane stuff, but that what people actually care about, instead of this sort of like traditional calmness, voice from nowhere sort of approach. It was the tone of a blogger, even though he was kind of before blogging became a thing. It led the way to to blogging once the sort of infrastructure got there. And I've always thought of Stern in a similar way, right? He's there there's some something about his show that feels podcasty, even though it absolutely came up on the radio, but there were no podcasts then. There wasn't even an option. And now folks that come along later like Joe Rogan feels like in the same kind of line, right? You know, kind of a little off the wall, an interviewer. You know, I, I'm not a close listener to either, so I, I'm not, by no means an expert on this. But similar in spirit, even if the format is is different. Uh, with Bill Simmons, uh, first time I know he didn't wasn't born at ESPN, but I certainly became aware of him when he was writing at ESPN. 
guess in the late nineties. Uh, I forget. Yeah, I think it was nineteen ninety nine or something because yeah. he he had like an AOL an AOL yeah. channel. That's all. Yeah. That's all he see. I wouldn't have known that because I never had AOL. But it's like, but you know, he can say he wasn't a blogger. I know exactly what you mean though, because you couldn't his writing felt right at home in a web browser window. And that's right. So whether you want to say it was a blog or not, it certainly was native to the web and he was liberal with his links and wrote with a way where it wasn't just, you know, like and you could see it here and the word there's, here is there's a link no editing to for length. Yeah. yeah. And there was no editing for length and you could go sprawling, but he he would he you know, to me a native hypertext added a dimension to writing that was literally impossible before and you can you could be a terrific web writer and not embrace it but it, it's like i'm almost like like one way of putting it is that you can do it as a sort of form of sarcasm where you could make a certain word a link and the thing that it links to if you followed the link would make you realize that oh that's sarcasm but you wouldn't realize it was sarcasm if you didn't follow the link because you know you know what i mean the- that's exactly. I think that's really profound. Actually, it added a a new dimension to writing. That and and this idea of it was not possible on print. It was only possible on the web. And then the mechanisms became blogs, but the the style was web writing. I think that's exactly what it is. And I think this this, this makes me click for the Stern thing too, because the best sort of Howard Stern shows are timeless. Right? There's an aspect where you can listen to it live. Or you can listen to it later, or you can listen to it, you know, a few years down the road, and it still can be funny. It still can be informative. It can still be all these sorts of things. And that is like podcasting. That's that's a big part of podcasting. It's not a live show. It's a time shifted show that shifts with you. And so that kind of clicks the 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 what I was trying to go at with that sort of essence sort of idea. I think that's exactly right. Um. And the you know the nature of the Stern show. If you just listen to it, it certainly sounds a lot like a podcast. I mean, there's he's a super professional broadcaster. I mean, and he's also born gifted with a truly fantastic voice. I mean, it's just an unbelievably terrific voice, and it's you know sort of like the equivalent of having just a beautiful typography in a written thing. but the advantage of writing is that, you know, you can pick somebody else's font. You, you, I'm stuck with my voice, you know. Um, and that's part of his, his anti-podcaster uh, shtick is that he's, you know, he thinks that people just, you know, plug in a USB microphone and start blathering and they don't know what they're doing. And they didn't, they didn't go through the... Um, the process that he did where he literally started as like a traditional disc jockey back when being a disc jockey actually involved discs that you jockeyed about (laughs) as you played records on a radio uh, and learned to work a control board and actually understands how an FM radio station actually broadcasts its signal because you had to do it. And I think, you know, to, to have the job, you had to be like certified you know, and have like a license from the FCC, I think. Uh, and and going through all of that today's world, it doesn't even make any sense. You know what I mean? It's you can't expect everybody who has a audio show, whether they call it a podcast or not, to you know learn the chops of being a you know a, a disc jockey on FM radio at 1979 or something like that when it was you know literally they were making hit TV shows about how cool it was to be a disc jockey on FM radio. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I could, re- I remember back when I was in uh, college and I worked for the student newspaper. I thought it was great fun, particularly to be a columnist. And so I like, I want to be a columnist. I want to, I want to be a columnist for the New York Times. And so I went to the New York Times and looked at everybody's bios and most of them were like journalists for like 20, 30 years before they finally got the perch on like the opinion page. Right. Right. And I'm like, I don't want to be a journalist. I want to be a columnist. Right. <laughs> I don't want to like put in, you know, go cover high school, you know, track meets or, you know, city council meetings and, you know, work your way up the chain, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the way it was done. Uh, what I did, I looked at, um, uh, there's William Sapphire, who was a uh, a speechwriter for for Nixon, and I'm like, that sounds a much more interesting path. I'm going to go work in politics and then transition over to be a columnist. Uh, I realize that working in politics is actually absolutely miserable, uh, even worse than being a journalist, pretty uh, bit any sort of like beliefs or ideals. And uh, but it turned out because of the internet, I was able to become a columnist just in a sort of like doing it directly. And I can imagine for a traditional newspaper person that put in years and years and worked their way up. And then I'm coming in with my, you know, my WordPress blog, and like challenging them for attention and opinion. It, it has to be a little, a little irritating. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, for those who don't remember, uh, I was a huge, I'm not surprised to hear, I don't think we've ever talked about Sapphire before, but no surprise that I was an enormous Sapphire fan. And definitely came upon what I wanted to do the same way. But Sapphire, everybody who does know him knows him for two columns that he wrote for the New York Times over the years. Primarily, he was one of the full-time op-ed columnists, you know, like the space now occupied by Paul Krugman and Maureen Dowd and... uh, uh, I think uh, R- R- Ross Douthat is is the yeah. like the conservative heir because he, right. you know, he was they always have someone on the right, uh, right. I mean, I don't want to name them all, but uh, the Tom Friedman is like the resident jackass. <laughs> uh, actually, they have a couple because they got David Brooks, and Brooks is sort of they never really fully replaced Sapphire because Sapphire's thing was that he was the conservative on the li- liberal op-ed page of the liberal New York Times. Where at least the liberal editorial page and op-ed page, you know, were were always politically liberal, um, even notwithstanding any sort of dispute or argument over whether the news coverage is as a political slam, which is neither here nor there. But Sapphire was the conservative, and you know his his bona fides as a Nixon speechwriter pretty much certified that. I mean, that's that's right. you know pretty credible. He's never really been fully replaced. But the other thing that Sapphire had was the on-language column in the Sunday magazine. And so as a political junkie who still to this day loves reading perspectives I don't agree with, um, although it's harder and harder to find reasoned ones. But Sapphire was one who I always enjoyed. I disagreed with him more often than not. But, you know, uh, overall, especially in my younger, you know, in my 20s and even late teens, uh, my politics were, by the standards of U.S. political discourse, centrist. You know, I, I wasn't really – you could ask me, you know, here's the top ten issues of the day, and I wouldn't really fall as somebody you would say, well, that guy's a diehard liberal, whereas now it's, you know, it's bifurcated. Right, because the Environmental Protection Agency, I think, came in under Nixon, yeah. right? Just to give a perspective yeah. of how how different it, things were to be on the right or the left like, and, way, way, way back then. So the, the entire existence of the Environmental Protection Agency came in under Nixon. The idea that conservatives would be into conservation 
was something that <laughs> right. was it was repeated often. It was actually taken as like this goes hand in hand that we're conservatives politically because we are hesitant to make changes fast and you know this these forests have been here for a very long time long before we were here we should keep them and say you know keep them the way they are you know like that that was considered cons- hand in hand with conservatism um the other one that's so it people just wouldn't believe it, it was that nixon came within like a whisker of passing nationalized health care <laughs> like well it, i mean he issued price controls too i mean right. which 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 is the yeah, yeah, it was it was a different it was a different era. And, and maybe you know, I think maybe I don't know how apocryphal it is, but I think as a nutshell synopsis, without really going into a longer than a breath digression on this, the basic gist of the Nixon nationalized healthcare proposal was that it pretty much got stymied by Ted Kennedy of all people on the. Kennedy's thinking being, I don't want Nixon to be the one to pass it. I want to be president in 76 uh, or maybe 1980, and I'll be the one to pass it. And so Ted Kennedy, as the liberal stalwart in the Senate, sort of put the brakes on Nixon passing what would now be considered extraordinarily left-wing health care in the United States. Um, but anyway, that's where Sapphire came from. And I was exactly like you and thought, boy, I, that's the sort of writing I feel like I want to do. I feel like I could do it. It is, it, it somehow the, the form, tone, nature of it just is so appealing to me. And I don't want to do any sort of, um, <laughs> working my way up the ladder to get there. <laughs> And in some it ways, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds terrible when you put it that way, but right. yes, it's totally true. All right. So <laughs> imagine that you really are your mind, you're a young person and you're drawn to the military and you think to yourself, boy, what I would like to be is a general. That, <laughs> that seems like that is, that just is what I want to do. That seems like an, ex, that just seems like a fulfilling life. I think I'd be good at it. I think it's important work. I would like to sign up and become a general. Well, you know, it doesn't really even make any sense that it would work that way. Whereas it didn't make sense to me that to become like an op-ed columnist or a business page columnist or a tech, you know, personal technology columnist, that you should be expected to work your way up the ladder by starting as like a city hall reporter, reporting on like, you know, the city council meeting where they're talking about whether to... Uh, change the street cleaning days from Tuesday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday. You know, like it just it doesn't seem like it doesn't make any sense that for what I want to do that I should start that way. Whereas working your way up the ladder in the military, it, it you know, to name one example, it, it feels like it does. And, well, and I think that's been proven out because once it became possible to take an alternate path, it turns out that path works very, very well. Like right. the, the, there's no, you know, the, and it's a it's one of the things that is pretty neat about the internet and the fact that you know, like all our archives are out there. You can go back and read. You read everything I've written. You know, a few thousand pieces over the last you know six seven years. And to believe or do what I write about now, 
well, you can look back and see what I wrote before and, 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 you know, it, you can correct things. That's another great thing about writing the internet. We've talked about, you know, if you get something wrong, you get to go back and change it. And then you can write a new post saying, I got this wrong. This is why I got it wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a certain credibility enhancing factor of the internet that's sort of built in if you are willing to sort of embrace it in a way that, you know, you put a column out there on a newspaper that is printed and it's, it, it's, it's set. It, it is what it is. And in that world, uh, sorry, I'm just kind of thinking out here. In that world where you printed a paper and there was so much permanence attached, maybe it did make more sense to have a long path because you had to really make sure you had the right person in that role. They had to be vetted. They had to be experienced because the cost of mistakes was way higher, whereas the cost of mistakes on the internet are much lower sort of for better or worse. Well, and I think the other factor that always – I think there's part of that part of that it was justified and i think part of it was that there was just so there was just so few space for it right because there was that's right yeah there was just one page in the newspaper you know that's um this was like something that like it was like a light bulb in my head in college like same as you like going through the student newspaper was i thought the op-ed page was for opinion and editorial but op-ed stands for opposite the editorial where the I mean, maybe it stands for both. Maybe it's one of those things, you know, that has multiple origins. Um, but the idea is that it's just tradition. And the New, you know, if you buy the print New York Times or the Washington Post, you know, it still works this way where you go, you know, you look in the index and it says, here's where uh, the editorial page is. And you go turn to page, you know, 16, the newspaper's editorial, which isn't you know, traditionally isn't bylined. It's written by the editorial board and is sort of the opinion voice of the newspaper itself is on the left-hand page. And there's letters to the editor uh, and maybe a a political cartoon on that page. And then on the right-hand page is where the op-ed columns are. Usually, you know, one or two from the staff, op-ed writers and columnists. And then, you know, the submissions from, you know, freelancers and statesmen and whoever else might submit was on that page. Um, it, it There's just one page in the newspaper. So it's super competitive. And I think there were a lot of people who had that feeling like, well, that's what I want to do. I want to be the, you know, I'd like to be the op-ed columnist or, and one of them. Um, it was so competitive that I think it, it, it just made sense that within the newspaper, there were so many people who wanted the job that when, when a spot opened, that of course it went to one of them first, whether they were the best for the job or not. Yeah, that's right. And and it was someone deciding, right? The person, the, the the op-ed editor, whoever was in charge, decided who got on that page. And I think what makes the you know the thing about the internet that is great from our perspective and maybe very threatening from a sort of newspaper perspective is no one decides, right? You, you right. anyone can go out there and can set up a page. And can succeed or fail based on the traffic they get on where they can charge money. And this is this is the great thing about being about being open. You know, it's the, this is the worry about Spotify. It's the worry about having someone in the center deciding what can be on or not. It's, it's the problem with YouTube that, that that Rogan ran into. YouTube can decide if you're on there or not. Whereas on the in the open web. When it comes to web pages or in podcasting, open podcasting, no one can decide. I got a question where, you know, so Dithering is not on Spotify. 
Right. Because you can't put in a, an arbitrary RSS feed. So I was like, well, if Spotify add the capability for RSS feeds, would, would you let Dithering go on Spotify? I'm like, it, I wouldn't have a choice. <laughs> That's right. the whole point of being open, right? right. They, so <laughs> it, they're like, oh, Exponent's not on there. What do you, would you Exponent? They're like, I, I, it wouldn't be up to me. If they let arbitrary RSS feeds go on there, anyone could put that on there and I couldn't control that. And that's exactly how I want it to be. Right. It's, it's, and, and again, uh, to, to, to make two analogies where, where the way it works makes a lot more sense to people who maybe don't think about it deeply. It's like, imagine somebody comes out with a new email client and, uh, you know, it's just new client software and you can use this client and get your email on your phone or, or wherever you're using it. Will Stratechery's daily update still show up? Well, yeah, of course. It's just an email client. Your email address didn't change. It's just going to show all the email that shows up in your inbox. Or yep. when somebody comes out with a new browser and, you know, however much we've ossified in the number of browser engines, the number of browsers continues to be a little bit more fluid as, you know, Microsoft has switched to Chromium and, and there's a new browser, relatively new browser called Brave that a lot of people use. Um, you know, Brave comes out and it's a new browser built on the Chromium engine. Uh, I don't like sign terms and conditions and agree to something so that daringfireball.net renders <laughs> and you can read it in, brow- in Brave <laughs> and that your bookmarks, you know, import over and if you you know like to have daring fireball in your your favorites bar and click it in the morning to see what's new i i don't i I may not even know that there's a new browser out it just happens right and so the same thing like if spotify allowed you to just add you know there's a plus button and then you could paste an rss feed in there dithering would just show up yep that's exactly right. I mean, the, the challenge, I think, from Spotify, I think there's two issues. One is they want to control everything. I think there might just be a technical issue, though, because the Spotify streams everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem with the RSS thing is right. it's pulling in an MP3, and they don't probably even have, like, the – you know, do they even have the data model in the Spotify app to, to house an MP3? Like, how how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I mean, but honestly, if they if if they supported this, like, I, I – I'm. I seem like the most extreme anti-Spotify thing, but I, my opposition is I'm actually fine with them trying to figure out this new model for podcasting, uh, as long as you preserve the openness for other models to 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 be figured out as well, right? And and the great thing about going direct, you know, the 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 solution to these aggregators, these people that try to collect all the users and monetize them more effectively because they're all centralized, you can serve them customized ads, et cetera, et cetera. The solution is to go direct to customers. And how do you go direct to customers? You ask them to pay you, right? And that's kind of what we're doing. And it works with Facebook, right? I could I paste the trajectory links on Facebook. And if you want to get the paid stuff, you can pay me directly. And Facebook's not involved at all. And yeah, we there's broader issues about Facebook and Google and journalism in the in the long term. But you are still able, the New York Times, for example, can build a thriving business by connecting directly with consumers who pay them directly. And Google and Facebook can't touch that at all. And Spotify is not allowing that. That's what's that's what's frustrating. I think it's I don't I don't think before we move on, I think it's worth circling back to Howard Stern and as the proto podcaster. And part of it is fundamentally about the content of the show, which is that if you just have a recording of the show and you listen to it, it sounds a lot like what people would think of as a podcast today. Strong personalities, Howard Stern, his his 
co-host or whatever you, however you want to describe Robin Quiver's role on the show. Um, uh, uh, the other regulars who are on the show, the way that the show flows, it's just, you know, it's all personality based and it's not, you know, like, well, it's exactly an hour long and there's 20 minutes in, there's a break. And then 20 more minutes in, there's a break, you know, it, it, it goes with the flow and it's longer, you know, um, that's podcast like, but then in the modern era, what's so interesting is is how he forged this independent, you know. And again, he's on Sirius XM, but his independence is remarkable historically speaking. Um, he was on FM radio, regular old fashioned radio over public airwaves, and you'd tune in on FM, and it was syndicated around the country, and. But basically, you therefore had to listen when he was on, right? That's how FM radio worked. And technically, I guess somebody could tape it and circulate tapes, but you know, there was no other way. There was no way to time shift for most people who weren't nerds. Um, and you know, he had a massive, massive audience and was making a lot of money, but was also fighting <laughs> the FCC on a regular basis because being on FM radio meant you you know, had to adhere to FCC regulations on things like curse words and, and content of the show. And, you know, it, it his show is, is, I don't know what other adjectives he used, but to, to use one, it was raunchy or remains raunchy where, you know, there might be uh, uh, actors from porno movies or something like that who were the guests of the show of the day talking about subject matter that would violate FCC regulations for what you can say on FM radio and literally millions of dollars of fines and it you know what it you know it what he did is he took his ball went home and went to satellite radio which people thought was crazy because you know satellite radio was this small niche and people had to pay for it and when he did it in 2004, the, the degree that people had to jump through hoops compared to everybody could get FM radio on just about anything that played audio, your car, your Walkman, like even your, your, your tape players used to always have built in radio receivers. You couldn't, you know, even if all you really wanted to do was, was play cassette tapes on a Walkman, it also had AM and FM radio reception because why not? Right. Um, Whereas Sirius XM, where I guess Sirius and XM used to be two companies and he went to Sirius, but you had to have dedicated hardware to get their proprietary satellite signal. <laughs> you had to subscribe to their service, which costs money every month. And even if you were a Sirius subscriber, you didn't get the Howard Stern show automatically with your paid subscription to a proprietary service that you had proprietary hardware for. You also had to pay an additional subscription monthly to get the stern show and people did it yeah well you know it worked because he signed a new contract five years later for right. for like another hundred million dollars or 90 million dollars for five years which included like fewer shows per week so he lightened right. his burden so clearly it was it, it was successful from serious perspective and you you put that in the context here all you have to do with spotify is just switch to an app you probably already have on your phone right Right. So it's a lot, you know, the, right. If, if the Joe Rogan show only, if the only people who go, like, I, you know, there's how many people listen to a show is hard to estimate. You can kind of get a good gauge of how many times a show is downloaded through regular traditional download statistics from a web server. 
Um, how that translates into actual listeners is sort of impossible to say. It's the same, you know, gauging the audience is always pretty difficult, right? You can measure how many subscribers you have, but how many people read the subscription, I don't know. How many people listen to a show that's been downloaded? How many people download it three times because they have three different podcast apps that automatically download it, but they only listen to it in one? You know, it's not one-to-one. But, you know, you can kind of get a rough number, Um what was interesting, actually, this is as an aside, uh, one thing that uh, I realized while well, sort of you know, writing about this stuff is it's hard to measure market share of podcast players in part because your typical podcast player plugged into the open ecosystem downloads podcasts all the time. You can set it to stream only, but most people, right. they just download the podcast. And so when they hit play, it's already downloaded and they can play the MP3. Uh, whereas Spotify, because everything is streamed, what Spotify does to accommodate the world, like, because downloads is sort of like the defined, accepted measure in the podcast world. So Spotify, when you hit play, will tag, will sort of like tap the 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 original MP3, so it registers a download. But then Spotify is just streaming it. But the implication is Spotify, a Spotify download. So if you go to your analytics page for your podcast, and there will be a Spotify category, uh, the, the Spotify download is actually a listen because they only do that tagging when you actually click play on the podcast, which means that Spotify is always undercounted because they don't have the bonus of downloading a bunch like downloading podcasts that you never actually listen to. And so it's kind of tricky actually to figure out how much market share do they have because their downloads actually equal listens in a way they don't for anyone else. Um. And they have an incredible installed base already. I mean, that's the point we're getting to is it's not like an upstart like Luminary, where Luminary is this new, I guess it's a year old now, um, you know, that only does podcasts and is only proprietary and requires you to download the new thing. I get the whole point I'm trying to make here is that if the only people who move from Joe Rogan's current podcast that's open to his new one that's Spotify exclusive are people who already, as of today, you know, May 20th, 2020 already have Spotify on their phone. That's, it could work, right? Because there's like 280 some million Spotify users out there. Yep, you know, yep. it, they don't need new Spotify users to make the Joe Rogan deal work. Um, presumably Spotify, you know, probably has a good idea that there's some number of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps Joe Rogan listeners who are huge Joe Rogan fans who don't have Spotify or don't subscribe or something like that, who will, and he'll have months to go in the rest of this year to remind people on a regular basis, multiple times a week, his show, you know, is like three, four times a week, I think like four times a week, um, you know, to say, hey, we're moving to Spotify, get the Spotify app, you know, it'll be part of the show, I'm sure. I mean, it wouldn't make sense not to. Um but they don't really have to get a new app, most of them, right? That's exactly right. And whereas the the other thing with the Luminary thing is the, the, to think about is Luminary is wants to charge a subscription fee up front. So not only do you have to download a new app, you also have to pay. Whereas this is where it's important to remember, like Spotify does have a subscription layer. Of course, they, they and they say that some people that listen to podcasts, you know, convert and it's been good for that part of the business. But this is really, really all about advertising. And there was a little 
thing that Spotify did on the last earnings call, which was they shifted how they accounted for content costs because they bought the ringer, they bought the gimlet. So they're, they're getting all these costs for producing content. And they used to split the cost sort of proportionally between their subscription business and their advertising business because, you know, both sides listen to it. What they did was they went back and they said, actually, all these costs go on the advertising side of the business. And why do you do that? Because the point of accruing those costs is to build the advertising business, and that's just a more honest representation of your numbers. And I, I think it really speaks to the fact that this makes sense. And so to go back to the Rogan thing, so he's switching over. Spotify's paying him this money because they want to build the advertising business, whereas if, say, Luminary signed Joe Rogan and say it was successful in the way that Sirius was successful for Howard Stern, right? right. And suddenly Luminary is a super popular podcast. Well, what Joe Rogan could do is go to Luminary and say, you need to pay me more because I'm the one driving all this money in a very sort of direct way. And if you don't pay me more, I'll just go independent. Whereas uh, whereas on Spotify, Spotify is building an advertising engine that Joe Rogan or any single podcaster couldn't because the scale of an advertising business is so much greater than any one person, whereas a subscription is much more of a sort of one-to-one thing. And that scale mismatch is why it's a win-win for Spotify and Rogan to work together, whereas Rogan and Luminary would immediately be negotiating over who gets the biggest share of the of the, of the subscription, and Rogan would take the most. Mm. Whereas, and to go to Stern, so Stern was subscribers, but you had to have satellites in the air, right? You right. had to have like devices, and Stern couldn't do that on his own, so he needed. He needed Sirius. Sirius had some sort of leverage in the relationship in a way that Luminary, because it's all just bits on the internet, had no – even if Luminary succeeded, even if they got tons of subscribers, what would happen is they would never, ever make any money because the most popular podcasters that drove the subscriptions would renegotiate to take all the money. And so it was just kind of a doomed model from the beginning because they weren't doing anything that any podcaster couldn't have done on their own. Right. It it's that's the and that's the question that comes up is is Joe Rogan better off now or will he be better off when he moves to Spotify than he was already with what's inarguably the the super popular podcast and already making tons of money and it's not that hard and you don't really need there's not really a lot of overhead. You don't need to your point. You don't need satellites in the air. <laughs> you don't need your own custom. You don't even need your own custom app. Right, which isn't yep. that much to ask. It's not that much to build, but in fact, it in the open podcast world, it's actually it, 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 uh, contrary to. It's a bad idea and probably slows adoption if you you build your own app. It's better. All you need is an RSS feed, which really is technically speaking trivial to publish. That's right. That's right. You know, it, it's very interesting to think about because I mean, he's so. He's also making less than Stern did, right? Because Stern was making Stern, or what was Stern making? Twenty million a year? Or was it a hundred million dollars a year? I think it's no. It's, I think twenty million. million. So, yeah, it was like yeah, five so year I, deals for ninety million dollars, or a five year deal for ninety million dollars. Yeah, it, whereas the Rogan thing, I think, could be up to a hundred million. So maybe it's maybe it's actually roughly comparable. I heard it's for like three years or something, and uh, there's a signing bonus and and uh, increasing amount each year, and but then there's like performance incentive. So I guess it's actually fairly comparable, but it's fairly comparable sort of 15 years on. So, you know, there's some degree to which it's it's less. But I don't I I think it's I think it's a win-win for I mean the there's a degree if you're very big 
advertising is always going to be has the most upside as far as sort of monetization goes. Like subscriptions are great. Obviously, I've built my whole career on subscriptions, but you are by definition limiting your audience because people have to pay money to sort of get into your universe. And, right. and that is always, and you can't spread as well. It's hard to get viral, you know, because people are always hitting paywalls. Like you implied in a subscription is making it more difficult for people in, in some respects. Right. But, well, sorry, I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt. Live, live correction here. I'm getting a feed here from the control room. Nope, I, we were wrong. I talked myself down. Stern's current deal from 2015 is a five-year deal for 90 million per year. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, so Rogan is making a lot less because he's making an average of, I think it's around 30 million. Uh, once you once you sort of uh, sketch it all out, um, that's that's whisper. I don't know if it's actually true or not. It, it, it passes it, the sniff test though to me in terms of how popular. Does just the sniff test of how popular does Joe Rogan seem to me in popular culture compared to Howard Stern? And yeah, it seems to me like a 2020 deal in a new compared to 2015, where there's a lot more money in the market and a player like Spotify who wasn't in the market in 2015. I mean, Spotify was around, but they weren't throwing around hundred million dollar deals for podcast type hosts. Uh, it just, you know, and I just think like, you know, in terms of Howard Stern's, uh, enormous pop cultural presence, he was, uh, for a couple of years, he was on the, um, America's Got Talent show. I don't know if you ever watched it. I, it's not the type of show I watch. It's like one of those, uh, you know, it's a talent contest with celebrity judges. Uh, you know, there's a yep. bunch of them. Um, but they got Howard Stern to do it for two or three years. And I watched because of that. I've never watched before. And since he left, I haven't watched again. But I watched when he was on. And it wasn't even that great. And he wasn't really as Howard Sterny. It was sort of a dour, you know, it was appropriate for a primetime NBC show. But it still made for much better television than, in my opinion, than it was without him. Um, if Joe yeah. Rogan became the host of America's or one of the judges on America's Got Talent, I think it would be news. I think it would bring in people, but it wouldn't be the sensation that Howard Stern was. So Rogan, well, that's, that, that's Rogan, part of the, of the internet. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, you Rogan went. at thirty million compared to Stern at ninety in a five-year-old deal that's about to expire feels, you know, uh, passes the sniff test. Well, and this is the advantage that that Howard Stern had, right? He might gripe about I came up through the you know the control board and you know it worked my way up, et cetera, et cetera. But if you were able to sort of get in the door, because the problem was there was a door, right? There was a gatekeeper, right. and if you were able to get in, if you were able to be William Sapphire, you were able to be whatever it might be, th then you had very little competition. And so you had situations where Howard Stern could be on every radio station all over the entire country, and people had nothing else to listen to, so they listened to the radio, right? And we, talk, we you see this with like TV shows. You know, we talk about like Seinfeld back in the day. You know, uh, how could the entire country be watching one show? Well, because there weren't that many shows to watch. And they, you know, so there was it was very beneficial for you if you could get through the door. And if you could get on top, the payback was way greater back then. Whereas today, sure, Joe Rogan's the most popular podcaster. Yeah, he has millions of downloads, but he's competing against hundreds, not hundreds, thousands, or if not millions of other podcasts and other uses for their time. I listen to podcasts all the time. 
I don't listen to Rogan at all. Whereas to imagine if I, oh, I watch TV all the time, but I've never seen Seinfeld. Like it, it's unimaginable back then in a right. way it is very much imaginable today. Well, and Seinfeld is an interesting stake in the ground too, because Seinfeld's finale aired, I forget what year, but I can't. 98. I was going to say, from high school. I, I could, yeah, I could get it within a year or two because I knew it was within the two years of graduating from college because I remember where I lived and I was only there for one year. So yeah, 98 sounds right. And that's pre-DVR revolution. And and I'm sure there are somebody out there and probably people who listen to my show are among them who you could like build your own DVR at the time. But like TiVo was relatively new in 2000 because I remember where I first saw TiVo. Yeah, it came. It was introduced in 1999. So you're, you're right. exactly right. Uh, and I remember seeing TiVo the first time was at. Uh, he was it's just mind on blowing. The, well, yeah, I remember it was. I went to work at uh, Barebone Software, uh, the makers of BB Edit, and uh, uh, Amy and I weren't married yet, but she moved with me, and we went up. And Rich Siegel, co-founder of Barebone Software. Uh, had us over to his house for dinner. It was delightful. Uh, and it was, I don't know who they were playing and what level it was, but it was in the autumn and the Yankees were in the playoffs. Um, and he knew I was a baseball fan. Rich himself is a baseball fan, but uh, he likes some other team. I, not the Yankees. I forget the name of them. Um, but anyway, the Yankees were on TV, but we had dinner and Rich had TiVo. <laughs> and so we didn't have to eat dinner while watching baseball. It, he we just paused it <laughs> and and there was n- no lag at all and we could fast forward these commercials and it wasn't like oh when you're fast forwarding you just kind of have to guess how long and oh too far nope you could just watch them stream by and then right boom there we are and i mean we left and it was it was you know the perfect device to sell both me and amy on you know, just this intersection of technology and my God, this is wonderful. Like we just literally the next morning went to uh, Best Buy or wherever you went in 2000 to buy TiVos and we bought a TiVo literally the next morning because we couldn't even wait. <laughs> it wasn't even something. It was like me buying the belt. You know, it was like it just, <laughs> there is no way if they were still open at night, you know, like we you know, probably didn't leave his house until the baseball game was over at probably like 11, 1130 or something like that. If you could still if you could like if Best Buy had 24 hours, we would have stopped at Best Buy on the way home. It was that kind of moment. So I remember that Seinfeld was before that. So everybody, not only did everybody watch because there wasn't that much on TV, but everybody watched Thursday at 9 o'clock on NBC. Yeah, it's the only time to watch it. It's amazing. This evolution of technology point is really interesting, though, because you started out with TV broadcast, and then TiVo made it so you could time shift, right? That was the that was the, the phrase that was used. Right. And and but I was thinking about this when you were talking about FM, how FM radios used to be built into everything, into your into your uh, Walkman, into you know your stereo, whatever it might be. And do you remember like when the iPhone first came out and like the radio association was like lobbying for Apple to include an FM radio into the phone? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and what's funny is what used to be ubiquitous is now very hard to access, right? <laughs> Broadcast, whereas streaming and so podcasts are actually easier to access in aggregate because your phone's with you everywhere. You always have an internet connection and you can always just go and get a new podcast. Whereas for FM radio, which is what used to be thought of as ubiquitous, you have to go find a dedicated device that you might not have with you. And the same thing with TV, where where streaming, 
was thought to be something exotic. Actually, it's way more accessible and easy to get to, and it's broadcasting that requires the specialized equipment and hard right. to get to. And just it's it's funny how how this shifts the shift over time in in what's easy and what's hard. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, like if you told me right now that on uh, like you know ninety three three WMMR Philadelphia's you know like FM rock station forever there's something fascinating was happening right now on 93.3 wmmr the only way i could think to listen to it would be to go to my car <laughs> like I I, I I honestly can't think of a fm radio and i guess you could probably i've never done it i'm presuming you could go to a website and listen to their radio station but i would the only other way other than turning my car on to tune into the fm radio station that i can think of right now that i could listen to it in my house would be to like maybe hope you could get it over the internet which is ridiculous right like that's it's not even getting it over fm radio it would be going to their website and assuming they have some sort of stream Yep. You know, I, I remember actually I, I didn't realize events happened. This is the early, early nineties. I was, I was must have been junior high school or, or or high school, I can't remember. But there was a uh, a DJ in Madison called uh Johnny Danger, I think was what it was. <laughs> And uh, he locked himself in the studio and played "I'm Too Sexy" by uh, by Right Said Fred for hours. <laughs> he just kept playing it again and again and again. And it was like it was one of those moments. Actually, you mentioned where everyone's like, "You have to go to your radio because this DJ lost his mind." Is <laughs> playing "I'm Too Sexy" again and again and again. And he's, um, but and he's, he's locked but, himself in the only room that has the controls to turn it off. <laughs> that's right. So they couldn't do anything about it. It was it was this big scandal um but but it, it was possible like we didn't think it was difficult yeah maybe we went to a car maybe we had a walkman whatever it might be whereas today you would that would happen you're like wow that's crazy and like i'll wait for someone to, to, to post a clip to twitter <laughs> i can see it then on there <laughs> all right let me take uh, a final break here and tell you it's spoiled spoiler squarespace thanks ben uh, <laughs> but hey guess what the reason Squarespace, it was hard to guess as the sponsor of the show, they keep coming back because it actually is the truth that people who listen to the show keep signing up for Squarespace service. And as create- they should, you should have your own website. You should have your own URL. I'm actually, I'm, I'm more than happy to endorse just the concept in general. You should have your own site with your own URL. You should not be on Medium or whatever these other sites of the day are. Own own your space on the internet. And it's uh, that's a great place to do it. And uh, I always say, if you actually like know how to use View Source, which isn't that hard, but go and look. And an awful lot of the websites you use from places like local restaurants and stuff like that that look totally great, totally branded, totally distinct to the brand of the restaurant or small business or personal website that you might be visiting. Turns out they're built on Squarespace because Squarespace lets you build a website that you not don't just own the domain and don't just control yourself and have the platform, but from a visual perspective, you own the brand. And you can start with one of their great templates uh, and tweak it from there. You could build it from scratch if you know how to do that with CSS and design and stuff like that. Um, and it's just a great platform for that. And it gives you control. And you can really do anything on a Squarespace site, everything from uh, a blog to host a podcast, which we've been talking about, to have a store where you sell stuff. 
and they handle all the commerce and all the stuff like that. It really is great. I know it just seems like everybody is out there. If you're not the sort of person who's going to use your quarantine time to learn how to bake sourdough bread, and maybe you're a little bit more in the ones and zeros side of how to use your idle time. And one of the ideas is to build a website or change an old website to something new and modern. Uh, starting at Squarespace and spending maybe even just an hour, two hours with the free trial that lasts a whole month uh, before you decide you want to pay, it's a great place to start. Then when you do pay, just remember the code TALKSHOW, you get 10% off your first purchase. So here's where you go, squarespace.com slash talk show. They'll know you came from here. They know you came from the show. And then when you do pay, when your free trial's over, same code, talk show, gets you 10% off. And you can pay for a whole year at it upfront, save 10%. That's like getting uh, over a month free. Squarespace.com slash talk show. My thanks to them for their continued support of the show. All right, let's talk about dithering which uh, is the new podcast you and I... I'm guessing most of the people listening to this have already seen me mention it on Daring Fireball somehow. I think, you know, I've done a fair amount of promotion for it, but... Yeah, this, uh, is, like the, this is like the end of our promotional tour. Like, yeah. first you came on the Daily Update, then you wrote a post, then I wrote a post, and now I'm here on the talk show. So people, we, 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 this, is our, this is our last chance to make, to make our case. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's you know if, if you don't know if if you're you know only only follow me by listening to the show it is a new podcast uh Ben and I have co-started uh we've been recording since March but we only unveiled it at the beginning of this month publicly three times a week 15 minutes per show not a minute less not a minute more so a little different format than the talk show <laughs> to say the least <laughs> it's it's amazing the 15 minutes thing like we I, I don't remember who or how we came up with it we came up with the name at the end of the very last episode I remember that but well, the, no, the uh, first episode the, yeah the first episode right the first recorded episode so but I don't know how we got 15 minutes but man it is it, it's like the more we do it the more I'm excited about it the like it's you can hear like we get on we start recording and it's like are you recording it oh yeah i'm recording let's talk about you know unix shell scripts for right. a while it, it whereas you know it's a very sort of leisurely let's talk about it the talk show is great for you know it can be you know it's all it's it's more like a talk show in some respects it's right there in the name whereas when you feel that clock ticking we're both looking at a timer and we know exactly how much is in there it's it's such a different feeling and a different energy it's like i i'm i, I this is sounds ridiculous because I'm I'm talking about my own product that I want people to buy, but it's honestly it's 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 really fun. Well, and part of the stuff that we didn't know, uh, I mean, and we've been noodling on the idea for months, maybe even longer. I mean, and speaking of, I mean, and basically it started, and I'll give full credit to you that you latched onto the idea at least a year ago. Maybe you've probably been thinking about it longer. That podcasts are ripe for subscription-based monetization. And that's the other thing with Dithering, and it's very different from this show, is in addition to a very regular schedule, we come out Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, uh, Eastern time in the U.S., uh, three times a week. Every episode is literally 15 minutes on the button. Uh, I believe every single time, if you look in your podcast player and it shows you like minutes and seconds, it's 15 colon zero zero. Like it's That's not, right. yep. not 1457. It's not 1503, 15 zero zero. Um, 
which is different. Um, <laughs> different than the talk show. But uh, you you had this idea. But the other thing is that it is a it's subscription based, and it's five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year. We've built this on top of the same membership system that is behind Stratechery, your subscription based email newsletter. It's funny because it's I, I, I've I, this is something that I didn't think about till I started writing about dithering. Is that for you've been a guest on this show many times over the years. You and I have become good friends. Uh, now we're colleagues. But I've always been able to describe Stratechery as primarily a subscription newsletter. But now it almost feels like that's not quite right. And not in a way that's bad, but like, you know, part of the evolution of this platform is that now Stratechery is also, you can enjoy it as a podcast on a daily basis, the same content. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because the, the version one was I wanted to have it so you could listen to the – like the, the, there's the Shrekery podcast now you can subscribe to, but it's not a different price or a different subscription than the newsletter. It's literally the same subscription, and the point is you can either read it or you can listen to it. And uh, and, and yeah, you know because it's it funny. I think it would be great for commutes, which is – I got right. a lot of requests about this, right? <laughs> right. Whereas you know a 2,000-word email is a lot, whereas a 10 to 15-minute – podcast is great and super easy to consume and fits in you know in, in, in my commute and all those sorts of things uh <laughs> the, the commute ended up working out but it it, I mean, it really resonated i think there's i still have the majority of people still read uh for sure but the number of people that do the podcast is actually much higher than i expected and it it there's some aspect of podcasting you know the great thing about email what i figured out with Shakru is people already check their email every day and so that was a great opportunity to put something there and you don't have to download a new app or change the way you your habits or anything, right? But at the same time, when you're checking email, you're often very busy. And and so it, you, oh, I have to re- read this big thing. And, and people got to hear about building up and things on those lines. Whereas because podcasts, you listen, you can do other stuff. You can drive a car. You can be in a subway. You can wash dishes. And it, it made it an even more attractive place to be because you already check it and also – there's more times to, to 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 listen to it, and so that was the daily update. Like, well, if we do this, what if it was just a podcast, right? And you know, in, we've we've spoken about the benefits of email and the openness of email and the way that you know it, people can look forward to it. But again, like you said, you, you don't know the context of it. Like one Monday, I might get Stratechery, and the next the emails around it aren't really that interesting, and I just click it and enjoy it and scroll and read, but you don't know, you as the publisher don't know if for some subscribers, the the very next email is an email from a colleague that says urgent server isn't responding, right? And it's like, guess what? They're yep. going to go right past Stratechery and go to that. Not that they won't come back, right? It's like, that's not, everybody knows that's not how email works. You know, you can go back to it, but you don't know the context of how they're going to receive it. Whereas a podcast, you kind of do like there might be other episodes of other shows but they're not you're not going to get an email from a colleague saying there's an urgent fire in the office that needs to be put out um you know right next to hey here's a new here's a new uh stratechery Um, right the other thing that i've I've actually always thought people looked at me as oh i monetize my writing 
I wrote a piece a while ago uh, when Grantland first shut down, and it was called Grantland: The Future of Publishing. And, uh, and I wrote what actually ended up being basically the Ringer business model, which is this idea of don't get stuck on sort of one medium, because if you think about it, podcasts are very good for monetization, but they're v- not very good at being viral, not very good at spreading, right? right? Whereas text is very good at spreading, and you can send, oh, forward it, an email to your friend or put a link on Twitter saying this is really great, uh, post a screenshot. And and so it spreads very well. So it actually makes sense to use text to build an audience and then use podcasts to monetize them. And it's funny because I, I believe that was the right approach, but I was actually doing the opposite where I had a free podcast right. <laughs> uh, with James Allworth of Exponent, which you know continues. And that would help me sort of – I got my audience mostly through strategically free posts, but then sort of you know got them to know me better, et cetera, through a podcast. Oh, and then I'll monetize through through additional text. But that was more – but that was more a limitation of tools. There, there weren't any tools to do the sort of podcast monetization. And so I really wanted to build this for a very, very long time. And I actually started building something a year ago, but it's going to be an app. Right. And I quickly realized, no, an app is not the right – you don't want it – you don't want to take it, someone, force them to go somewhere else. You don't want to be luminary for all intents and purposes. And so, uh, it made more, so I stopped it. And then, oh, this idea of, you know, having this super easy way to add the feed into your podcast app, that's just like, that, like, that's just like the daily update. People already check email. They already check their podcast apps. That's a much that's that's the way to do it. That's is what makes much more sense. And one of the things that certainly sold me on it is, you know, as you built it and I could see it at Stratechery, and I know how easy it was to sign up just for Stratechery, you know, the the selling point one of the selling points for me, I mean, primarily it is do I think you and I could do a good show together? And of course that's if if I thought the answer was no we wouldn't have been doing the show. I, th- I thought, yes, this this seems like a good pair. Me and Ben could do this. I would listen, right? That's the, for me, is always the thing. I'm not, everything I do, everything I write at Daring Fireball, this show, now Dithering, these are shows that I would listen to if there were two of me. If there's one of me who's doing it and another one out there doing something else who's looking for podcasts to listen to, I would like the talk show. I would love Dithering. Um, I would definitely read Daring Fireball every day. That's my audience, you know, is somebody like me and anybody who's similar enough that they also enjoy it. That's great. And I'm glad there's so many of them, but I have a, you know, that's my, my target. But then at a technical level, am I willing to do something that's not, you know, that requires a subscription? A big part of it is to me, well, what's the, how much friction is there to sign up? And it's not just, are you willing to pay or not? That's obviously fundamental to the idea. And I have no hesitation for that, you know, in the same way that like when I worked on the Vesper app with uh, Brent Simmons and Dave Wiskus, would I be willing to make an app that you have to pay $5 to use? Well, of course. Yeah, I think that's a fair deal. We make the app, you pay $5, you get it. Am I willing to make a podcast you pay $5 a month for? Sure, definitely. That feels like a very fair deal for what we're doing. But the experience has to be good. Right. And it's like every time I see a tweet or get an email from somebody who says, Hey, I signed up for dithering, easiest sign up process I've ever done. You know, it is like music to my ears. It's funny because I with you. I I I really believe in I, I see nothing wrong. I actually no, I I I did nothing wrong. I absolutely endorse getting people to pay because it's it's a direct relationship with your customers. Like that's a right. much healthier place than having Google or Facebook sort of sitting in the middle. So I'm super in favor of it. But at the end of the day, you're asking people to pay, right? So you should make 
everything else about the process as easy as possible. And and so you know, with, with Stratechery, is like, well, I, am I going to have like DRM'd emails or something? No, because right. these people are paying you money. You want to make it super easy, and they might forward to people, and that's okay. Like that, that's just the price you pay because you want to make it super easy. And what's funny is I actually think that led I would say us, but it's mostly my mistake to make probably a mistake with dithering at first, which is like, okay, we made it really easy to add a feed. But even that's too much friction. I want you to just be able to click a button and boom, you get the podcast. So we had this ability where if you already had the Shatekari feed, it would suddenly start having the dithering, dithering podcast as well. And, uh, you know, so it, 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 like it almost crossed the line of being too frictionless because then it got confusing. And we, what we realized is, uh, we had a standard and we want podcast players to support it to split it out. But that's actually, you know, <laughs> as you've learned with Markdown, getting the world of standards sounds like is, is just a recipe for a headache. So we kind of unwound that, but it was driven by the exact same idea, which is this needs to be as easy and frictionless as possible. And, yeah, and the other thing too is we we are fully aware that one of the things we're competing with are podcasts that don't have a subscription, right? Where you click a link for the RSS feed and it opens in your podcast player and you're there, or you're in your podcast player and there's a search field and you type the talk show and hit return and there it is and you can click it. You know, we're not it, it, inherently something subscription-based is going to involve a few more steps, right? The minimum. You have to give us your name, your email address, and uh, pick a password number. and a credit card yeah. number. Yeah. And, or Apple Pay, but yes. But, you know, we're not doing stuff like, oh, what industry do you work in? And, you know, what are your interests? And what are your hobbies? And this and that and the other thing. And all, you know, there's it, it really is low-friction People are verifying it. And then the other thing, you know, we have, uh, we should talk about is part of the reaction to dithering is that we don't have like free episodes to listen to. There is no free trial. And we thought about these things, uh, you know, very, very significantly in the run up to it. And we launched without it. We're for now, we don't have it. One of the ideas is, well, you can listen to me and you together on this show. And obviously the format's very different. In terms of the length, but you can get a sense of the the camaraderie we have together. We list the episodes on the dithering.fm website so you can see each show what we are talking about, what the, you know, just that at the, you know, because that's one of the things people say is, well, what's the show about? You know, because the show, the website is minimal enough and really just sort of describes the periodicity. Um, but you can, you know, part of it is I think people saying what's it about or being a little, little, cute and part of it is what else what else are we going to talk about right well no people do want to know if we're talking about sports that's right which the answer is no but that's mostly because sports don't exist right now right <laughs> just to be full disclosure right. right right now it's like we, we we might look back on this episode of you know and say well you know it got off to a good launch the subscriber numbers are good the reaction from people is hey i really like this i love the format i'm really enjoying it it's it's uh, really, really overwhelmingly positive in, in a way that is very yeah, satisfying. We, we, we passed a six thousand during recording. By the way, I just checked. Well, it's yeah. I think we literally were at five thousand nine hundred ninety. And no exaggeration, five nine 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 before <laughs> yeah, when we started recording. Yep. Um, no, but that, it's it's very gratifying. It's successful. The feedback is good. But it's very possible that if there's one thing we're overlooking is that the as the the quarantine and the pandemic starts to dissipate and sports comes back, we might just derail the whole 
the whole thing. <laughs> we're going to ruin it. Right. Yeah. And we're going to look back and say, oh, the show was going great when there were no sports. And then sports. we started talking about sports. Yeah, right. And <laughs> all of a sudden, and, and I was even mentioned, so one of the things I, I've mentioned is that, look, it's five bucks a month to start and you can go monthly for five bucks. It gets you access to all of the shows we've already done, which I think is over 25 already. Um, and you can listen to those. And if you don't like it, it's like you're two clicks away from unsubscribing and you're only out five bucks and that's it. And, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody's doing it. And who knows, maybe once the NBA starts <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and baseball starts up, it's all of a sudden, <laughs> instead of watching the subscriber number go up, it's going to start going down. But I don't think it's going to happen. Well, the, the, the other thing about this, I mean, we're also limited technically right now. Like, so we actually do have it that you should check because it's funny. Like you, when you do something new, you run into all these assumptions that other people made that are unexpected, right? So like podcast, like one of the things that we, we, if you look at our page, we had different show art in different months in March and April and May. And if you actually go back and you play our podcast in those months, you will have that show art come up from the MP3, but none of the podcast apps actually list right. the right show art because they just assume a show always has the same art, right? And and, and there's all sorts of cases where you run into this. Uh, you know, it, One of these is the membership software just never really thought about there being multiple free plans is because it was a subscription product. And so like, there, there's actually not a really a means to do the free thing right now, but that's also what's been so fun about building this is right. I, I sort of, you know, paraphrase that Alan Kay statement, you know, anyone that's serious about software needs to build their own hardware. In this case, it's like anyone serious about publishing needs to build their own software. <laughs> it's like right. kind of moving in a different direction of the stack, but to explore the different things that you can do and are possible. And so I think it'll be fun. We can see this evolve, I think, potentially over time as well. I mean, there's still some like cool features. Like if you, if your credit card expires, you will get a podcast telling you your credit card's expired, right? Which makes sense because you're not checking the website. You're not checking email. It's a podcast. Why would you expect anywhere else? So we, how can we meet you where you are? And, um, it's it just, it's really fun and invigorating to sort of think through that opportunity and that experience and how you can really, you know, make it as easy and, Make people feel like they're getting what they're paying for, right? Part of that is making it a great experience. Part of it is being super consistent, right? You're getting 45 minutes a week, 50 in three 15 minute episodes. It's like it's not. It might be a three hour podcast, might be a 30 minute. No, it is what it is. And I don't know. It's 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 been very invigorating for 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 me, definitely. Yeah, and that's you know, it's a sort of cleverness that I don't think anybody's experienced yet because I think it's still so fresh. We're only twenty days in since announcing, and so uh, maybe even less than that. So nobody's credit cards expired yet, so they haven't. Nobody's gotten the podcast episode that that will pop into their feed reader and say, "Hey, your dithering, uh, you know, credit card has expired." You know, go to the dithering to renew or whatever no, which is, link in your show notes yeah right link in your show notes you could just do it right there in your podcast app uh, i've told you this it's a funny story is back in the day and one of the reasons it's such an interesting thing is I've, i i without going into depth about it because we talked about it on on uh Stratechery last week I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes people can sign up and listen to that for free um but, you know, in the history of Daring Fireball, I had custom RSS feeds for people who paid an annual membership fee. And you got full content RSS feeds for Daring Fireball. And people who didn't pay got 
just the top level excerpt of the article and you had to go to my website to read it. And I, everybody, it was sort of similar where everybody got a, their own personal URL. It was like, you know, daringfireball.net slash feeds slash, and then like a, a unique token. And I built in a thing that said that if, you know, if it, their year membership was up and it was time to renew, they got a custom item and it would address them by name. And it would say like, you know, Ben Thompson, you know, your membership to Daring Fireball has expired. And the I thought, boy, that's clever. Won't that be neat? And people who, you know, because I thought, you know, my idea was, hey, you could, you don't have to ever go to my website again. Maybe you, you love your feed reader so much. Once you have the feed, you'll just stay in the feed reader. Well, here's how I'll let you know that your membership has expired with a custom thing just for you. Well, <laughs> the thing I didn't anticipate was that people, let's say somebody signed up and for 11 months of, daily reading of Daring Fireball. Everything that showed up in that feed was something I had posted to the tens of thousands of people reading Daring Fireball. And then all of a sudden, one day, their name is in what looks to be the, <laughs> the headline mentioning that they had let their membership expire. And they thought it was on the public site. Yeah, that I was shaming them in front of the entire <laughs> Daring Fireball audience. For having let their membership expire. And I got a couple of emails like that. And they were always very nice. And they weren't like outraged because they, of course, it, it took them seconds to realize what was going on. But they did have like a momentary, you know, oh, flux. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I rewrote the message. I forget what I did exactly, but I did something to try to clarify it, you know, like put something in brackets in front, like the way that I flag like a sponsorship message or something to make it clear that it was just for them because I hadn't anticipated it. And I know it's a good call. I, I feel like I should go back and do that now for right. our podcast. Cause it, that's probably going to happen to someone. They're like, wait, is this in the, is this in the whole feed? Right. And like the handful of people who wrote to me about it always said the same thing, which is that, you know, once you think about it, it would, you know, I, I, I subscribe to your site. I'm a member because I know you and I trust you. And you know, it's, it seemed very out of character for you to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to do this, but still it was quite a shock to see my name in the, the headline field <laughs> that's amazing your membership has no, expired you're a cheat yeah, <laughs> i mean it's fun though because like if everyone like you everyone has a custom rss feed like you it doesn't they don't need to all be the same like right. there's so much there's so much potential here and again oh, it's like but do you know what though you know what people are going to ask for they're going to ask for a checkbox for sports yeah. Well, it's funny. I do want to build that for the, cause on Shatechery, I've been doing just the daily updates where I read them, but I've been doing more and more interviews. Cause it's like, well, I used to do interviews occasionally, but you transcribe the whole thing and it's hard reading an interview transcription can be very difficult. Whereas once I had the podcast, like, well, they could go listen to the podcast. So it made me want to do more of them. Right. But then now I have people that are like, oh, I, I actually want the podcast only for the interviews. But so that's actually something we're going to build. Like it's, it's not done yet, but you'll be able to check, click a checkbox and say, I want this, want that. I don't think you'll get that for dithering. Uh, I'm just going to put a stake in the ground right now. But, uh, but yes, we will, we will, we will, we will continue our descriptive, our descriptive, uh, maybe we can do chapters. I, I I'm okay with chapters. Yeah. Um, but oh, one thing you other said about people might just be in their feed reader and never visit the site. That's I think that that is like the core of like dithering. Like dithering is like the realization of that vision, right? Dithering is not a website. Dithering is something that lives in your podcast player. We don't have any expectation you come back to see us, come back and visit us. It's all in that MP3 player, and you can. There's a link there if you want to manage your subscription. But th but even then, it's like coming from the MP3 itself. And really leaning into this idea that 
it's like a what it's not it's not centralized at all it's it's fully sort of like distributed it's a distributed product in the way that sort of the openness makes possible yeah it just is native to podcasts and your podcast app in a way that is to me very pure it is very pure to the medium of podcasting Anyway, my suggestion, uh, I thank all of you who do listen to this show, uh, but I think that if you enjoy me and Ben together, you very high likelihood that you would also enjoy dithering. I definitely encourage you to sign up. And I'll just emphasize, it's only five bucks a month to start, see if you like it, and it's super easy to cancel if you don't. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think you'll like it. Yeah. And hey, at, head us up for a refund if you really hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is my big concern starting this was, okay, I mean, I, how many times a year do you think you're on the talk show traditionally? Probably three, two or three? Yeah, I'd say one or two. Yeah. I, 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 well, someone did a count. I realized I'd been actually one of the most frequent guests, but yeah. it, I guess – but then I realized I've been doing strategy for seven years. It's it's amazing how, how, how fast time flies. Yeah. Uh, you know, but a concern was, well, wait, if I do a show 45 minutes a week with Ben, am I ever going to have anything to talk about on the talk show? Or vice versa, if he comes on the talk show and he's on for two hours, um, are we going to run out of stuff to talk about for dithering? And I feel like, I feel like so far so good. I feel like, uh, all right, we talked about the show itself and the Rogan thing and whatever. I still have a long list of stuff to talk about on dithering <laughs> tomorrow night. Uh <laughs> oh, a huge list. Because we actually – we started to do the Rogan thing on Dithering yesterday. And it's like, wait, we could talk about podcasting in general and Joe Rogan and the Howard Stern angle yeah. for hours. This should obviously be a talk show uh, a, a talk show episode. So, yeah. No, it, it, it's it, it's actually worked out. Yeah, it, it's – I mean, we'll see how it goes. But we're a couple months in. Uh, it's – and. It, the great thing too is, you know, because I, I thought about the same angle from Shatechery, right? Is it going to be too much overlap, et cetera, et cetera? It turns out because, like Shatechery, Shatechery can be very dense, right? It's like I every sentence, ideally, it's two thousand words long, but almost every sentence is like progressing a logical argument in like very like <laughs> constantly, right? And so people give me this feedback, like, oh, I feel like I have to be in a certain state of mind or a certain place to like consume it, and I'm like, that's fine, that's the product that I do. That's totally different than dithering. Like dithering is like it's all about the back and forth. It's conversation. Right. Yes, I still get geeky and analytical, but it's balanced by you telling stories about changing your kids' diapers. So it, it works. <laughs> it ends up working out very well. <laughs> all right, my thanks to our sponsors this week, uh, Linode. That, that was a hint at what, at what to expect. <laughs> yes, please, coffee, uh, which I just finished. I probably didn't need to drink the whole pot. And our good friends at Squarespace. Uh, and you can catch me and Ben at uh, Dithering at Dithering.fm. And uh, right. Ben, as always, continues to do his uh, apply his trade at Stratechery.com. <laughs>